0: buddy, and welcome to another episode of Reap the Spoils. I'm Mark Sullivan.
1: I'm Delilah Lugo.
0: And I'm Jason Kwasnicki. Jason, what game are we talking about today?
2: We are talking about
0: Final Fantasy.
2: X... I was about to say IV. X-V-I. <laughs> yes. Well, you
0: know, we, we probably are going to talk about XIV quite a bit, too. You know, it, it just... just... Just by association, I apologies in advance to Delilah. <laughs> um, she gets she has to read and listen to this crap in our Slack channel all the time. Um, and you know, I, the, 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 there's a whole bunch of people that don't play 14, the MMO, the second MMO Final Fantasy game. Um, for whatever reason, it's amazing. Go play it, but. Uh, anyway, uh, Reap the Spoils is a monthly spoiler cast where we pick a game, we play it, and then we come here and we spoil it and talk about it for, you know, a long time. Uh, most of our episodes, they average at least uh, two hours or longer, so, you know, hopefully you're, you're strapped in and you're ready to listen to us talk about that for a long time. Today we're talking about Final Fantasy sixteen. the latest and, well, maybe not greatest, but we'll get into that, of uh, the historical and storied final fantasy franchise one that jason and i are massive massive fans of
1: yes they are isn't this your guys most anticipated game this year oh
0: yeah yes yes (laughs) this is my most anticipated game for years yeah same that this since its announcement jason and i have been all on board and wait waiting for this guy to come out and did it deliver You'll just have to keep listening to find <laughs> out. Hey, by the way, guess what, guys? This is, like, for, for you guys and for um, for all the listeners, new and old, this is the 50th core episode of Reap the Spoils.
3: Jeez. We have
0: covered 50 different things, and that's not counting the bonus episodes and the DLC-only episodes. We've done a couple, like, you know, we did one on uh, Resident Evil Village's DLC. We did one on... um uh the BioShock Infinite DLC I'm not even counting those which means we've done over 50 episodes of something but this is the 50th like thing that we're covering I can't even say game anymore because of our last episode um <laughs> it makes it a little uh makes it a little challenging to just say game now um yes but yeah we we've got a huge back catalog so if you're new go back and listen to that stuff all right sorry to keep everyone waiting history lesson time are we ready yeah let's do it Cool. Okay. Final Fantasy 16. That was developed by Creative Business Unit 3, which is, you know, an internal business or an internal developer team within Square Enix. There's Creative Business Unit 1, 2, 3. I think it stops at 3. I don't think it goes past 3. Um, but this yeah, was for, developed
2: for reference for people who don't know. CB1 is uh they did like FF7 remake.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They've been doing the main lines for or if you consider that mainline, you, you get what I'm
0: saying. I mean, there's well, yeah, I would consider that mainline. But they'll also yeah. like see and and Creative Business Unit Two, um, now has now kind of absorbed all of the Luminous Productions folks. Uh, after like the absorption of that studio, uh, it's kind of been like a gray area as to what CBU Two is. I think, but last I know about CBU Two, they absorbed Luminous, which Luminous Productions developed Final Fantasy Fifteen. And mo- more recently forspoken. So yep. that's all absorbed into CBU two. But CBU three, uh, developers of Final Fantasy 14, an MMORPG that Jason and I have put in just way too much time on. Uh and will continue to do so.
2: Yo, Power Ranger costume coming out. Moonfair festival, let's go. That's true. We
0: yeah. we are getting some Power Rangers costumes. That's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, Delilah, you're gonna start playing.
1: Uh...
0: <laughs> Oh my God. If we could get Delilah to do 14 and then do each expansion in an episode, oh my God. We would be unstoppable. Um,
1: I I would need to quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So, full production on uh, Final Fantasy 16 actually began in 2016. Some planning began in 2015, but really, it really kicked off during the patch cycle for the first. 14 expansion, Heavensward, Uh, I think around patch 3.4 was when production on 16 began Uh, and had a lot of uh, Final Fantasy 14 staff involved. Obviously, we have Naoki Yoshida um, as the producer, Masayoshi Soken as the composer, longtime 14 composer, uh, amazing composer, does amazing work on that game and did amazing work on this game, if you ask me. Um, Oh, yeah. But there was also a lot of Ivalice, uh, alliance staff that worked on that that worked on this game. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I don't have the names off the top of my head, but uh... A lot of a lot of uh, people that worked on Final Fantasy XII, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. I think the Tactics spinoffs, Vagrant Story. Uh, Hiroshi Takai is the director of this of this title. Uh, he worked on Vagrant Story and uh, actually traces his roots back to the Quest days, working on Tactics Ogre. Uh, so that really informs a lot of the aesthetics and setting of 16. We're going with lots of. Uh, like medieval, more medieval, uh, like knights and kingdoms and and whatnot for for a setting. Uh, it really, really came through from the staff, uh, the, the things that the staff that worked on this game worked on in the past. Um, very reminiscent of things like Evil East, Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy Twelve, etc. Uh, anyway, the game was revealed September twenty twenty. Uh, In the big PS5 showcase that was shown before the PlayStation 5 came out. Um, It was a really cool reveal. Jason and I peed our pants. We were so excited about it. Um, Found out, uh, I think in an interview years later, kind of in the lead up to the release, that a PS4 version of this game was actually planned and was canceled. So they didn't want to compromise to get this game running on cross-generation hardware. Uh, they, they quietly canceled the PS4 version and only developed the game for PS5. Uh, the release date was revealed at the Game Awards 2020, and in, in, in rare form, that release date was the release date. This game was not delayed after that date was announced. The game came out on June 22nd, 2023 for the PlayStation 5. Um, Alright, that's enough for the history lesson, though. Are we ready to start spoiling Final Fantasy sixteen? Oh, yeah. This is your final warning. If you have not played Final Fantasy sixteen. pause the episode. Go play the game. It'll only take you, like, 60 hours if you do everything. You know? No big deal. So go do that, and then come back and press play and listen to us spoil the whole thing. Because I- I'd hate to be the thing that ruins the game for you before you even play it. Yes. All right. I I say we just jump right into the ending, guys. I think I think there's a lot to unpack with the ending, and we'll kind of you know <laughs> unfold and talk about characters as we go. I'm sure, uh, as is typical, reap the spoils fashion. So I'm I'm just gonna start by posing this question: mm. Did Clive die? What are your guys' thoughts?
1: Okay, so he has the crystal <laughs> curse, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Once I, that I,
1: happens, at least, especially if you did the side quest in the games, you know, essentially the only thing that's saving you is nothing. Hospice yeah. care at that point. So you're just like different characters in the game, like Tarja and Martha, they would create like little hospice oh, yeah. care for people that had. <laughs> <It's>
2: Scandinavian.
0: <laughs> Wait, what did you say?
2: Talia. It's oh, like a L, it's Scandinavian. Well, I think
0: yeah, they, they say her name is Taria. G- G- Gav says and... Talia. Does he?
2: It, it, it's like a weird. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. S- say Taria his, if it's easier.
0: I think that's just his. Uh, his his very what Scottish accent. Yeah.
2: Maybe, but I, I just know that. I just know that. Like.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's intended to have like a Scandinavian. Yeah.
0: Jason, we know you're. We know you're a nerd. It's okay.
1: <laughs> well, basically. <laughs> Those characters would create little like hospice cares or give them medicine that would expedite their death so that they're not suffering so that they're comfortable. so if he has the crystal curse and there's no like magic anymore and things like that, then
0: well we know we he's know' gonna that the, die we know that the crystals curse like Sid was developing it too. We kind of see that earlier in the game at one point his his sleeve is a little more rolled up. You see that his his arm is starting to slowly turn to stone. So like it, it definitely doesn't just like come on you just like that. Uh, we see Clive's hand kind of turn to stone, but the the reason I ask this question is there's the whole situation with Medea, the the red star next to the moon um, that that Jill always prays to, uh, wi- wishing for Clive to have a safe journey home, to come home safe, and we see in the in the end that media fa- fades it it yeah. disappears as Jill is looking at it and she bursts out crying and mm. it's kind of been it's kind of been left a little vague as to does that mean she no longer has to wish for him to come home safe because he came home safe his battle is over his journey is done or does it fade because he can no longer come home to her cuz he's gone um, well, I just I want to know what you which theory you guys subscribe to you want to know think... what
2: theory I subscribe to yeah it was all just a story written by some guy named Joshua Redfield
0: <laughs> Joshua was-
2: Rossfeld Rossfeld sorry
1: <laughs> Redfield no. Chris Redfield's jo-
0: brother. Joshua Redfield <laughs> Chris's long lost brother <laughs> no it was just a
2: rent ra- it's just a random fairy tale written because you literally interpret it like that, that I, I actually love I love how vague the ending is and I mean s- not all but there are Final Fantasies that have had endings where like, you know the general status of the world post-ending, but not necessarily the party. Um, uh, I, I can't really use it as an example anymore because of the compilation, but th- that was kind of Seven. Yeah. Obviously, since the original Seven, you've had Advent Children and the compilation, and we won't go into what the ending, went, but the ending was relatively vague. You, you just knew I, I the status say... of the world and you it, the status of the individuals wasn't necessarily the important part
0: i i would say a lot of final fantasies um besides the ones that have gotten direct sequels like 7 like 10 uh, and so on they they are kind of left uh they, they are they are kind of left in, in like there's an there's an ending that shows you like the the current status of the world but like it is kind of left up to like you're you're left to fill in the blanks of where do these characters yeah. go from here
2: because keep in mind, like so many Final Fantasies, towards the end of the, the climax of the game are involving, as this game <laughs> so lovingly um, plays with the trope of uh, we have to fight a god, and in some case, in some Final Fantasies, the world is literally semi destroyed. So it's like the what happens to the party is kind of left up to interpretation. It's more like what you know what the status of the world is as a result of their actions in the end.
0: But you mm-hmm. subscribe to the theory that it was all not. No, oh, I was. I was joking. Like a... oh, I was.
2: Okay. J- I was just joking, just to well, just to show how much how much width there is for the interpretation, yeah. and I love it. There I are so many good. ways you you can interpret it that Gav wrote the book and dedicate and use the pseudonym Joshua Red or I keep wanting to say Redfield Rosfeld. Um, okay. You could. You,
0: you can just say Joshua. There's only one yeah, Joshua, Joshua in the game.
2: <laughs> um. You could interpret it that Clive lived and dedicated it to his brother. you could interpret it that Joshua lived and wrote the book. There's so many different ways um personally, I think they all died um all, uh and I refer to the three guys who went on the to use a mass effect term suicide mission okay. um
0: so- so Clive Joshua and Dion
2: yeah, because uh, effectively he removed all and and that's why media faded media being one of like. It, from the very beginning of the game, you—if you're paying attention to details and you know like Final Fantasy stuff—you're you, thinking like, "Oh, a moon, a red moon. This is got to play a huge role at some point, And it just never does, really. But I mean, I never... it's more sim—it's more symbolic than like. And that—that—that's that, all yeah. it needed
0: to be, right? Like, exactly. we never necessarily got answers about what it was, but it was—it was only really purely used for symbolism as a as a as a yeah. minor plot device to kind of. To well, kind of drive this conversation that we're having now.
2: But I, I do agree with you that when Media disappears, it, it's, it's just a function of all magic being removed from the world, which was Clive's you know, and move. Um but the important part is that then the sun rises, which is a callback to a conversation previously between Clive and uh and uh, Jill in the her final side quest, uh which I guess we'll get into later, but um so
1: yeah and it's also just
2: a general like sign of hope yeah it's a very hopeful and and that and that's all you really need like i I don't like getting into like who actually died who actually lived i don't think
0: any of that stuff is really important to the story again i just i just want to know what theory you subscribe to jason so it's just that they all died i I think that's fine i
2: think it works better for just magic in general being erased from the world and, and um, so
3: yeah.
0: So what you think that you're in in your version of that? Gav wrote the book under Joshua's name.
2: Sure, maybe Gav, maybe okay. Jill. Who knows?
0: Okay, doesn't really matter. Go, go ahead. Go. I want Delilah to talk now. No, <laughs> I was, been trying to talk.
1: No, it's okay. Sorry. I would no, it's, it's okay. okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say there was just I noticed a connection between the baby, of Edda's baby, mm-hmm. get being birthed as Clive. Allegedly died, right? And so when like, Nethiya, kind of trade
0: one life for another.
1: I feel like something happened there, um, okay. for sure. And the way like Gav said to the baby, like it's your world now, like do what you want with it. I and we know that that baby was a magic user in some way, shape, or form. I have a theory that it was Leviathan, Leviathan's dominant. Um, but because that icon has been absent from the entire story, pretty much except in notes. But that, um, that's
0: something I want to talk about
2: uh, later. Also, yeah. keep in mind at the end the the final shot we get of Clive we have, he may not even be in that world anymore. The sky looks significantly different than it does when we see it from Jill's perspective.
1: Yeah. So he
2: could like already be in like washing up on the shores of the afterlife or how whatever they called it. In, I don't know if they use aether sea like they do in well, fourteen. I, don't I know.
0: think. I think. Um what 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 was it called origin was like floating it was like floating above the uh whatever that strait is between storm and ash uh so yeah, like, that's true he that's he, he would have just crashed down into the water, i'm sure, and then washed ashore on either shore of of one of those continents um i don't know i I didn't really interpret it. I mean, because cause after he washes ashore, like it's still nighttime for him, and then we see the the whole scene with Jill, the sun rising. I, I don't I don't think there's like a whole different world yeah. thing going on, and and the game never really establishes that as a, a possibility. So it, to me, it would feel really out of place. Um, if they introduce like another world or an afterlife or something along those lines, right it, there at the end.
2: Again, like I like I like. The The reason I started off kind of with that jokey ending, like, oh, it was all just a story. None of it actually happened. It's just because the uh, breadth of ways you can interpret it yeah. and, and the fact that it still gets across the core themes with, you know, Gav and the baby and Jill, you know, and the dog and the sun rising, just the general theme that hope was achieved, that they achieve their goals and there's a brighter morrow on the horizon.
0: So Delilah, you you think that you think that Clive did die? And... Yeah.
1: Uh, yes, I I okay. think he I think he died. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then do do, do you think that Joshua was resurrected?
1: Yeah, cuz he Clive um healed him essentially like did the same healing spell that Joshua did for everyone almost um with but, the phoenix powers.
2: But they repeatedly throughout the game and they actually, like, leave little breadcrumbs, if you actually think back, tying in with this ending. They repeatedly state that the Phoenix powers can't bring somebody back once they're dead. So he might have just healed him to make his body whole, for posterity's sake.
1: I, I thought about that, too, just so he doesn't have a gaping hole in his chest, but at the same time... Um, I mean, a pho- Phoenix does represent resurrection in some way... Right. So maybe because he was the Phoenix, it, those rules might not apply to him. But I, I think that Josh, if anyone's alive, it's Joshua, not Clive.
2: And and to another thing that they planted to support your theory is that if you talk with uh, Harpocrates about Joshua, he says that like, oh, he has all the makings of a scholar. Once this is all over, I think he might write a book. Mm-hmm. But they then they also say that about Clive, and he gives you the quilt like. They give you all these little things, so I feel yeah. like specifically, so that when this conversation arises, you could argue so many different ways, and I love that. Yeah. I,
0: I I really love that too. I really love that too. And like to, to expound on a little bit about the quill and what he says about Joshua, like obviously that that last post credit scene is in like a world like a normal world you know no no magic it's vibrant with life and there's these just kids playing about these legends that they've heard about and read about in the book Final Fantasy written by Joshua Rossfield um i i kind of like the idea uh, I think the, the the I think the, the what Delilah is talking about with with Joshua being the Phoenix Phoenix representing resurrection. I think it makes more sense that Joshua did come back and he wrote the book and followed through on what Hippocrates was saying. But I also really like the idea that he didn't come back. Clive did. and fulfilled another the, the the legacy of another name similar to what he did with Sid you know it's not the first time clive has taken has used another person's name to fulfill their legacy he did so for sid so what if clive having tomes's quill used that to uh to write this book in joshua's name and pen it to him uh, I like I, I like a mix of both of those ideas, even if they they can't mesh together, right? Well, obviously, one has to be true or the other. Um, which again yeah. is, is another reason why I really love how open ended this this ending is, is because like you can think about it so many different ways, and nobody's necessarily wrong.
1: Yeah, I like it too. And just like something else that kind of supports my theory a little bit is uh, the undying. Right, there was a lot of side quests where. As the you clive was kind of clashing with the undying's purpose of protecting the rose fields and they came to an understanding when uh what's his name the uh the guy from the undying not jote that's a girl there was I'm, the i'm just
0: African. gonna i'm gonna say it right now for everyone listening and just for us there's a lot of fucking proper nouns and names in I, this game. I, I wrote it don't expect down. us to remember all of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. He basically was explaining to Clive that they would do anything to protect the Rollsfields. fields, that they're not doing it as slaves, they're doing it as servants, it's a choice, blah, blah, blah. And he got Clive to understand that thinking, because Clive was like, oh, you're letting your people die just for information about um, Ultima? And Cl- they were like, oh, well, wouldn't you like just protect Joshua? So it's like the same thing. And yeah. I feel like that like, supports like, like Clive's entire thing is that he couldn't protect, protect Joshua at the event of Phoenix Gate. And then he wound up being alive. And he, Clive like, essentially kept failing in protecting Joshua. Joshua would come in and protect him throughout the game more so, if anything. Um, and I feel like this was his final moment to finally do that.
0: And like f- basically fulfill his duty right up to the end. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Uh, yeah. The guy's name is Cyril.
1: Cyril, yes, yeah. that's it. Thank you. <laughs> You're
0: welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like that. I like that thought. I like that theory a lot. Um, what about Dion? Do do we all kind of feel He's that dead. Dion? Yeah. Okay. He he
2: achieved his his purpose. Uh, there's a lot like every character, or, or the characters that actually a running a running theme that at least I perceived in this game is um kind of accepting or as You would say in Jungian psychological terms, integrating with your shadow, which is one of the reasons why I think that they use that word so prevalently. We'll talk about it later. Talk about other stuff. But like um, before Dion, you know, gets hit, returns to his normal body and falls, like he says, like, I don't don't ask for acceptance, only forgiveness. Kind of I think that was his moment of embracing or integrating with the shadow. Like his arc was Mm -hmm. kind of closed. His character yeah. was then at peace.
0: I mean, I think in general, like he, he, you're right. He had fulfilled his purpose. He had he his his arc had kind of closed, um, by by that point, and I see no reason to contrive him surviving.
2: I'm sure there um, are a lot of people that would want him to survive because oh, he seems I mean, to be like the favorite of everybody.
0: Yeah, a, and excellent. you know what. I mean let's also let's also just shout this out um I think Dion might be the first openly gay uh final fantasy character I'm tr- I'm trying to remember any others I mean there there's some that you know you can kind of insinuate you can kind of infer like maybe they're gay I think of like Vanille and Fang from 13 there's a there's a popular there's a lot of popular theories about them being uh being in love with each other um, we're just talking never... about main characters right yeah yeah just because obviously main... It's,
2: it's been it's been in the series just not like a main character not yeah as, like as i'm talking about a, a yeah, main yeah.
0: prominent character like like dion um i think this is the first time we've had that and what a i i, th- I think he's a super badass character um we you know we've, we the final fantasy has a long history of really awesome dragoons as like really cool characters with really cool designs. And Dion definitely adds to that, to that legacy. In my opinion, I think he's a really, really great character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And his arc was sick. Like I love yeah. everything about his story.
0: Yeah, I mean the but... whole the whole fall of of Sam Breck and and kind of you know you get you get to the crystalline dominion. You know that him and Joshua. And this is like what about midway, a little over midway through the game. You know him and Joshua are kind of in cahoots to overthrow his father and uh, and Annabella, um, who I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, And for for you, like you, the audience, you, the player knows that. And then you get to you get to Twinside and suddenly Bahamut is raging all over the town. Like, it was definitely like a question hovering over my head. Like, what the hell happened? Why is he doing this? Is this part is this part of him and Joshua's coup? And it, you find out, no, it, it, it wasn't. He accidentally wound up being deceived into killing his father. The one person that he that he loved, you know, or the person that he i would argue loved most in the world even more than terrence um and and for him he he just lost it after killing him it it was really really powerful shit i think i think his character was fantastic
1: yeah there's so much more i can say about, about dion but just to get to the point of like me agreeing that he is also gone is he closed all his chapters. Like the one loop he had open, the one person he had still alive was Terrence. And he essentially ended that and had Terrence go on a different path to like protect the little girl that was hustling medicine in Dalmikia or whatever. <laughs>
0: What a weird thread, by the way. Like, if you... I don't know if you guys were compulsively holding down the touchpad to open Active Time Lore every five seconds during every cutscene. It's part of why this game took me, like, 140 hours to platinum. Um, Because I, I, again, every five to ten seconds would compulsively open Active Time Lore just to read a new entry if it popped up. Um... And, like, every cutscene she's in, she just shows up as medicine girl, like, the whole time. And you're left to wonder, like, wow, there's an act of time lore entry for her. Where is this going? And that lasts, like, through half the entire game until, like, she actually gets kind of more tied into the plot. Really, really weird and interesting thing. She even shows up, when you talk to Vivian, uh, she shows up in, like, the the character map. Yep. It's just so bizarre.
2: (laughs) I assume from the get go um, that there are a lot of modern fantasy novels that have like just random recurring minor characters like this that intertwine with different. Like a good example would be off the top of my head, like Hot Pie from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Well, A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, for people get there, we won't go then, so it's waste too much time. But you understand what I mean. Like he has no real like impact on anybody's story, really, in particular. He's kind of just along for the ride for a couple different characters.
1: I do feel like, had this game had, like, a sequel or a DLC or whatever, I could see this little girl, like, working with Tarya because they're one of the few people that, you know, has... Like, I could see her having more of a purpose, like, in the world, you know, because she, she is good at making medicine without magic, and that's obviously a rare thing. Like, not many people were able to heal others without using magic.
2: I think it was just more important that... Um uh what's it? Dion specifically tells Terrence to go protect her, which is was his main character motivation. It was to protect others. It was very he was the duty. It's probably why he's the most favorite, you know, everybody's favorite character is simply because he's the one most driven by, you know, loyalty and honor. Um it's it's yeah. important that Dion sacrificed that to protect that little girl. I yeah. think that was really her most important, you know, service
0: to the plot. or character, I should say.
2: Also, yeah.
0: her name is Kiel. I could not remember what her name is again. Lots of <laughs> names. Her name is Kiel. You don't really find that out until the very end though. Yeah. But yeah, I mean she's the one that's responsible for saving Dion's life and that that's kind of um his excuse to close the thread with Terrence is to is to send him off to, to help her um and okay. and say goodbye to him. Uh another interesting Dionism, I guess we can call it. Dion uh, it's something that I noticed and found really interesting was that he he's like the only person that refers to dominance by their icon name versus their actual name. Mm. Um it's, it's a good
2: it's a good way of showing character through dialogue because yeah he, he you know, he shows that respect innately without it needing to be provoked.
0: Yeah. 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 So like he only he I don't know that he ever even called Clive by Clive or Joshua by Joshua. It was always the Phoenix and Ifrit. Yeah. Um, so to, to, yeah. Again, but it's, it's
2: under, also it's also a cool. Deionism. It's it's a Dionism. It's also just a dragoonism in Final Fantasy because they're typically distant characters.
3: Hmm. So yeah. Dion
2: also also because of that because of that prim properness feels very distant when he talks to people. Yeah, and you even see that when Mid hugs him um, <laughs> leading up to the climax. Yeah, and he like he's like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> let's let's talk about the big bad let's talk about ultima and how you guys kind of perceived him as a villain
1: up. he talked too much
0: <laughs> i do kind of want to open this by saying and i'm not going to name names or any critics or any reviews any publications but i don't really understand this this rhetoric this this idea that ultima comes out of nowhere to pull the game's themes and focus away from politics into being like magic mumbo-jumbo yeah, stuff. Yeah, no,
2: I, I agree with this because in actuality, Ultima takes the, theme, the, the socio-political philosophical themes that are being shown through you know just the basic politics and interweaving of the kingdoms and just the world and just brings it to a more existential level. It's actually pretty amazing how well they, how and how consistently they interwove the themes through every element. Yes. Um, I I I think the best way to think of Ultima, I I immediately thought to Doom. Uh, I was about to say Doom. Doom, as in the Frank Herbert novel yeah, slash movie. Yeah. Um, and we'll get more into this, I guess, when we talk about Annabella. A- Annabella is the front-facing flat villain that is just yes. it's just evil. And and no redeeming qualities. Zero
0: redeeming qualities. But
2: the actual villain, which in the case of Dune, is the Emperor, who is not seen until the end, the very end, um, who is the one actually masterminding everything that's happening, including what the front-facing villain does. um, Much more nuanced, much more complex in motives and in in their actions. So that's kind of the way I took it.
1: Sure, and to criticize a game called final fantasy for having fantasy elements when these political this political <laughs> turmoil is caused by magic literally like the use of magic and how it's used as a resource um, and how it's used to enslave people like who could wield it um to to just think that that magic comes from nowhere and not have a logical connection in the way that they did with ultima would be ridiculous
2: I think it's a problem of expectations. I was thinking this when I was playing the game. Even though it is true, um, I think the biggest mistake they might have made in the press tour leading up to it was uh, repeatedly saying how influenced they were by Game of Thrones, because I think for a lot of people it set certain expectations.
0: Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree with that. Even though like that that after playing the game, that influence is extremely present and 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 accounted sure. for. It's really obvious. Um, and, and
2: the irony, of course, is that if you, even if if you're a book reader or the books haven't been finished, but you know that, like, the ending of Game of Thrones is it's more magical, high level, like, not political, strictly speaking.
0: I like I mean, like, even if you just look at if you just look at the first season, the first episode of Ga- of Game of Thrones, um right. if, if, it if i remember correctly it opens with it, it that first episode opens with the white walkers come uh showing up Yeah
2: the they're called the white walkers in the show yeah but the others yes. in the books yes.
0: yeah I, I, right yeah i i'm more people have probably watched the show so i'm just going to use that that uh name But p- point being though is uh, I, I agree with you. People probably got the wrong idea from the from the influence that they were kind of really obviously showing, and then said in interviews that you know the first four seasons of Game of Thrones was an influence for this game. It's a it's a fact, and it's very clear. Um, but people probably took that. They probably took like all the all the marketing materials that were shown, which didn't have Ultima, it just had like the icons shown, and and they kind of had that whole tagline like the history of the crystals has. Um, commanded us long enough. Something, something like something along those lines. Um, people probably got the wrong impression, went into this expecting it to be just mostly politics, and then got disappointed when the politics eventually stopped. But like, I don't know. If you pay attention, that was bound to happen. Ultima is not someone that comes in at the very end of the game, or even midway through the game. Like you very meet early. Ultima. Yeah, at the end of the first act, you meet Ultima. Right. It's it's kind of built up that like something bigger is going on from the from the first third of this game. Yeah. Um and I don't really understand how you could see that and then become disappointed when the politics eventually take a back seat.
2: I, I think there's also an aspect of this game is very Final Fantasy in the trope structure it uses, and also how it plays with them. Um,
0: you, you mean fighting a god at the end of the game? Exactly.
2: I said that earlier. Final like, that,
1: yeah, oh, yeah,
2: exactly. And that's not even just a Final Fantasy thing. That's Japanese. That's that's Japanese storytelling yeah. in general.
1: And also, let's not forget that God and religion are a big part of politics. So it mm-hmm. all kind of is relative. Like yeah. we saw that with Barnabas's character. Like he was like really devout to this god and
2: and and just the the philosophical um aspects to ultima uh, logos versus mythos if you know latin you're going to you're going to notice a lot more uh in-depth references in this game just the idea of the will versus the um the mind or logos the higher mind reason freedom um versus mythos which is like mythical like a conception um just a, a lot of basically um, Ultima takes a lot of like the themes that are explored earlier in the game of slavery, um, w- which are touched on with a lot of n- more nuance than um, so many so many other stories t- stories that we have nowadays. Um, but slavery at every level, from just like what you think of when you think of slavery, somebody enslaving another person, to being a slave to a system, a political system, an economic system, being a slave to technology, in this case, magic which could be viewed as an allegory for natural resources, being a slave to technology, computers, once these people can't even do basic functions of survival without magic. Like there's, there's so many levels to the, and degrees to um, and the I'll way also... this game expo- explores uh, slavery, all the way up to the religious aspect, which is Ultima.
0: Yeah. And I was about to say, last but not least, like uh, a slave to faith, a slave to your God, to your, to your fate, so to speak and one of the biggest themes about this games is break or about this game is breaking free of those chains bre- breaking free of the chains that hold that bind you um so yeah I, I i agree with everything you said i do think that and maybe we'll talk more about this later i do think that certain uh aspects of this world with regards to slavery kind of get a little heavy handed and unnecessary yes. by the end of the game there's only so many different ways you can you can take that theme and try something new out well, of well,
1: everything well, yeah. that
2: theme is also tied in with you know I mentioned before the idea of the shadow and integrating with the shadow and I, I'm, and 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 it's tied in being a slave to yourself to your own what Jung would call it the shadow, Freud would call it Id, the animal brain. Um, for, and that,
0: for 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 what it's worth, Jason, I'm mostly referring to the side quests. Really, oh, just, oh yeah, really, yeah, just yeah. beating that over beating beating a dead horse with it. I, um, I will
2: agree with you that the um, the themes of a lot of the side quests are meant to mirror things that are going on with the main characters. So I can yeah. definitely see that you know getting appearing heavy handed or
0: um, repetitive to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. That, that's something that I, I definitely want to touch on when we get to side quests, but I, I let, let, let's keep rolling with the story. I, I just want to
1: acknowledge, like, those complaints real quick. It, like, I can see the excitement of, like, the political turmoil kind of dimming once, like, the main political forces are down, dead, whatever the case. Um, and so towards the end, when you know the ultimate goal, Ultima, um, it's like less exciting cuz it's there's not as much confusion and mystery and questioning. So I can see it being less exciting to people, but that doesn't make it bad.
0: Yeah, right. No, exactly. And it's it's not even about like it being good or bad. It's it's just like it's just the the expectation that that people had going into this game. It's like even people that have played plenty of Final Fantasy games before like did how did you not anticipate this? How did you not expect this? like even even the most political final fantasy games in the past tactics 12 like they 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 lean more into that stuff by the end and and let go of the politics it's right. it's it, it's never it's never we've never had a, a full on like and it could be interesting to see but it's like it's never really been what final fantasy's been about it's always been about it's it's kind of it's kind of always had these themes of of, of over overcoming uh, like impossible odds against against a god that is well, is manipulating um, the world in in a, in a negative way yeah
2: there's always um final fantasy has always drawn heavily on um star wars i mean there's there's always a bigs and a wedge bigs and wedge comes from there, star there wars isn't,
0: there isn't in this there game, isn't I, That's I really I, disappointing. yeah
2: well i you know which characters i thought were going to be bigs and, and then tyler then said, and wade yeah yeah the
0: same people i but, thought um, were gonna be <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, the, but there's always though? there's always a rebel group. Yes. In this
2: case, in this case, you know, you have uh, the hideaway and everybody there, but you have the returners and six, you have avalanche and I seven, mean, the,
0: the, the rebel army. in two is like the first yeah. instance where it's like, it's literally a rebellion. There's uh, always an empire. an empire. Yeah. yeah. Um, But
2: yeah. sorry, Delilah, you were going to say
3: something.
1: No, I was just going to say the, the the Imperials, the the republic like that was all present here in addition to even the way jill revealed told like clive like i love you but he was like oh i love you and she was like me too and i was like oh she pulled like yeah, it was han, a, solo yeah
2: han solo yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are so many little things like that that are both nods to obviously you know the makers of this game know that star wars was a big influence early on but like even nonce to their final fantasy so many small things like clive is repeatedly called by um Particularly, Ultima Child of Fate early on. How do you say "Child of Fate" in uh, in Latin, Mark? Oh God, I don't know. Liberi Fatalis. Ah. Uh... Which for Mark knows what I'm go. talking about. Delilah has no idea. For those uh... who don't have any idea what I'm talking about. One, one the, of
0: the uh, one of the, the... the best composed pieces of music by Nobuo Uematsu. Yeah, it's, it's uh... the opening track of Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. Probably, probably one of, if not the best, Final Fantasy openings. Um, Yeah, man, yeah. Uh,
2: There's so many little references like that live throughout. Yeah, and and
0: and, you know, like like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Like one one thing that I was pointed out to me, and when I played through the game a second time for Final Fantasy mode, I I listened a little more intently, and I heard, I definitely heard it. That first fight you do with Ultima when you're still in Walud and. Ah, uh, he kind of teleports Clive and Joshua away into like a into an interdimensional rift. Uh, and you fight Ultima there. Uh, Ultima's boss theme is the final Fantasy One overworld theme in a minor key sick mm-hmm. um which I did not pick up on the first time. and when I heard it, it blew my fucking mind. Now I, yeah. I don't really think there's much of a deep in- implication there. Um, this is just something no. that Soken often does. He always he he really likes to take uh, leap motifs from past Final Fantasy games and kind of incorporate them, usually in a thematic way, like. A lot of uh, to talk a little bit about fourteen. A lot of Shadowbringers' music incorporates a lot of leitmotifs and themes from Final Fantasy III, and that's because Final Fantasy III is the one with the Crystal Tower, which is a big plot device in Shadowbringers in in that expansion and in the in the raid that happened in a Realm Reborn. For the Crystal Tower, I think there um, are just
2: a, some a, a little more eight references here, maybe just because it's sixteen. It's just a numeric thing. The
0: the bat, yeah, the battle theme, the b- openings, yeah. very very similarly to eight's battle theme. Um, I, I, hearing the, you sent me a video, Jason, of hearing them back to back, and uh, I think a friend had mentioned it to me uh, like a week prior to you sending to sending it to me, and then listening to them back to back, I was like, oh yeah, wow, this is the same uh this is this is like the same uh te- tempo the same the same uh chord progression the same note progression definitely definitely carried through um i just before we move on i i kind of want to give my thoughts a little bit on ultima uh, i think i view ultima a little less positively than you guys do um mostly just cuz i guess in the grand scheme of final fantasy villains i don't think he's that great Oh yeah. Um I I like I I think I think his motivations are well thought out. I think he's integrated really well into the story but him just as a villain um with kind of like his his very emotionless and I you know I, I don't wish it was any different. I get what they were going for because there's lots of talk about uh about the humans gaining will, gaining emotion, not just being not just being drones to worship the gods, you know, they they, they they develop wills of their own. I having him be a contrast to that of being this very droning, monotonous, um, kind of lifeless being, like it makes sense. It's just I, I he didn't really do a ton for me in terms of uh making me hate him, you know.
2: By the way, do you guys know who he was voiced by?
0: Uh I'm not sure the
2: actor who played uh Viserys in season one of Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Yep. But anyway, oh, I, yeah, I, I, right. I do get your point. And as a, as a fellow fellow Final Fantasy fan, I do agree. Like, he's he's not the best um, villain in the series. But at the same time, he's more an antagonist than a villain. Because yeah, if true. you actually think about it, like, his motivation is just survival. Yes. It's, it, he's literally, uh, like, just an alien that's yeah. trying to survive and bring yeah. a species back yeah yeah I, all that hate,
1: yeah
0: go ahead the lot
2: sorry i was gonna
1: say all that hate was reserved for annabella for me <laughs>
2: exactly well
1: that's why i mentioned
2: that's yeah, why i mentioned this earlier yeah the the flat facing the front facing flat villain who is just irredeemable
3: yeah. and
2: nothing to like about them versus the overarching um main antagonist yeah I because even one... even in dune the emperor is more sympathetic
0: than baron harkonnen yeah I think the one lingering question about Annabella is just what is her skincare routine? How did she how did she go 15 years without aging a day? <laughs> um it's it's kind of impressive.
1: That's um, true.
0: I mean not, we, not don't 15 know, years, we don't so know, it's over 20 years actually. My my bad. Right? We don't
2: know how old she was in the beginning. Um, it says game of thrones inspired yeah quote oh
0: yeah uh, did you guys act of time lord during the during the scene where she they're was trying to get it yes. on with elwyn
2: i know they're cousins yeah
0: yeah that's that's all. that was also like a detail that could go that could that could be missed if you don't if you're not compulsively holding that touchpad yeah and reading shit um they're cousins yeah gross. Um, and you know i th- i do think she's like I do like her as a villain, but you're right; she has no redeeming qualities. Like her, her whole purpose is that she just wants to, she just wants to, um, she she just wants to preserve the bloodline. Yeah. Um, yeah, she... and
2: and tying back to the I, the theme I keep talking about, the shadow. You guys, it's gonna it's gonna almost be like Elric of Melnibone on this one, the, the, right? The union theme of the shadow, but like her ending, she refuses to confront and integrate with her shadow. Like that's like her whole ending.
0: She's like yeah. the only character who doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but but back back to Ultima real quick is just yeah. I, I I I I agree. I agree with you that he's more an antagonist than a villain. And and um, I I've, I've seen this misconception a few times, and I think I've seen like people kind of g- double back on it. Um, I've seen people refer to the Fallen as. Others of his race, other gods that came with him, and I, I, no, I think it's pretty well established that the fallen are just the first humans that kind of got too close to the sun and came crashing down. Um, and not that they were other other members of the deity, yeah. uh, other members of the godhood, well, or whatever you, you, you want to call it. You do get that
2: lore bit. I forget what the area is called with the waterfall
0: where yeah, that battle was um,
2: but it's a it's um, very promethean um where they confront the gods because they want to be free and they right. lose but they that's where right. the icons i think came from they they were given they were granted that power yeah yeah
0: and i do i guess now that you since you brought up icons i do kind of wish that there was more to an extent i kind of get why there isn't um this is this is a world where it's it's harder to get information so i don't expect all the questions to be answered but i do kind of wish they delved a little more into how becoming a dominant how the icons work like why the icons were created um and how becoming the dominant of one kind kind of just happens like it's it seems like it's something that it, it can just randomly happen to anyone. They tried to preserve the the Phoenix line with uh with Annabella and and uh, like trying to make sure that that family line gets continued. Only Ross Fields can be the Phoenix. Um, and what you know, obviously the big question of why is Leviathan called Leviathan the Lost? What happened to that icon? Um, See, as a, like as a token all... fan. I love I love that
2: stuff. It's just. It's not, the magic isn't explained. It's kind of vague because it doesn't really need to be explained.
0: I mean, yeah, and and like I said, like, to an extent, I get it. It's just, I I would, really the biggest lingering question is Leviathan to me. That's the one I want to know most about. I know, and everybody
2: keeps saying, oh, that's what the DLC is going to be about. I'm like, no, please, just leave it. I love the vagaries, including the vagaries in, even in character backgrounds. I mean, I guess we'll talk more about Dion at some point again, but there's even vagaries. I like the It's left to, not even interpretation, like the important, where I feel they were vague here, and they were vague in a lot of areas, it didn't need to be explained for the story to work. And I like that there were those issues there.
0: I definitely don't think, I definitely don't think it needs to be explained for things to work. I think it all works well enough on its own. It's just, it's just... They don't really... Exp- they, they, like, why why is Clive, of all people, Mythos? It's never really explored. And it's also never really explored how uh, Mythos, how Ifrit's powers work. Right. Like, why is Ifrit the one... Why is the dominant of Ifrit the one that can absorb other icons?
2: Because he's the child of fate.
0: Yeah, but like... I know. It's, I, it's, I, I, I get it. You know, it. it's it's strange to me that that a a a fire respected uh, icon is the one that can also absorb the powers of others of all different kinds of elements. Hmm. Um, it's it's just you know, I I would like I would like the answers to some of those questions, even if I don't feel that they're necessary. Right. Um. And and you know, I I I'm definitely a big believer that we don't need all questions answered. Uh, it's just, there's some that I would like to know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Oh, well, how did you guys feel about that whole like just going back to Ultima and the final battle, real quick? How did you guys feel about that like cheesy line? You're like uh, the like the climb Cl- was like, "This is nothing more than a fantasy," and that you're the we final, final witness. witness. <laughs> I, I love. I I, I loved
2: that kind of writing that you see in for the dialogue that you see throughout yeah. for a um oh god what's a Ko- koji uh what's his, what's his actual name koji fox? Christopher Koji Fox yeah yeah so um, think
1: like in some way the developers had to know that this game was such a drastic change from many other final fantasy games that people were going to like poke at it and criticize it so maybe that was their way of being like nah it's a final fantasy game <laughs>
0: yeah i even even if it's so obvious throughout the whole game that it's not it's a final fantasy game like yeah. yeah
2: no i mean when it came to that final battle i was more like that was probably one of the more emotional parts for me is just the interludes um when you know they're doing all the different icons and you can hear all the different voices yeah. That would, yeah. And like and the way the way the way Soken's music changes, so you have the normal version of the boss music and then it swells mm-hmm. to yeah. it during those interludes and the way it goes back and forth between that.
1: Yeah. The music yeah. in this game was fantastic. It had chills all almost every main boss battle and story moment.
0: Well, if you're if you if you enjoy the work of Masayoshi Soken, you should go check out the hit video game Final Fantasy XIV all <laughs> <laughs> the free trial now includes uh the award-winning uh expansion Heavensward and Stormblood. Wow. <laughs> um anyway. <laughs> uh yeah, that 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 final boss was really cool. Like how he how he's like incorporating two different elements at a time and moves from two different icons at a time and yeah. you're kind of overcoming them with the 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 same elements and stuff. It it was very very neat.
1: Yeah. It was a spectacle. I mean, all these boss fights were a spectacle, but... Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: It's like, in space, with this eye, all these colors. It was gorgeous. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Even though that fight was easier than the initial Ultima fight, when you fight him for the second time, because you fight him three times in this game, right? Once before Sid dies. No,
0: that that was Typhon.
1: Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which was a really... A really interesting take on Typhon because Typhon mm. doesn't normally look like he normally looks very different. Mm. Um, I don't even know how to describe him. It's like a big, like purple, gross monster-looking thing. Yeah, he was originally the first appearance was six, right? Um, I think it might have been five. I'll I'll fact check. Go ahead.
2: No, I just but I think I think it. it while technically it's labeled as. Typhon, like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's essentially supposed to be you fighting Ultima for the first time.
1: Yeah, that's how I interpreted it too. Well, I
0: think, I think it's meant to be implied that because all of, all of the, 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 the this is something we haven't really gotten into. Was that the, Sid, Sid's whole goal was to to destroy all the mother crystals so that he he could free the land of of magic so that everyone would have to fend for themselves and the and the world would stop decaying because that's kind of what the crystals were doing they were seeping the life out of the out of the uh, out of the world um uh it, it, you find out at the very end ultima he kind of duplicated himself or that or no it's more like his kind or like a hive mind right like they're all one being just split into multiples and yeah
2: but and and they can also create like, kind of, automaton, like, what's his name?
0: Howlbard, the,
2: uh, the Lord Commander for, uh, King of Ullud, Who's, like... Oh, Barnabas? He's, he's Bar- oh, no, no, um, no. Uh, Howlbard, uh, uh, Howl his second. Yeah, Slipner? We're Sorry, yeah, Slipner, Yeah, Odin Spear. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I thought his name, why did I I, I
0: thought he it has was a like last Robert. name. Wittner yeah. Harvard they, or
1: something like that. Yeah, Harvard,
0: they, that's they, it. yeah, Yeah, they use that to hide the fact that he's sleep near. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, like Ultima's like they're kind of like one being that can split, and like he put he took multiple of his vessels, and they're the ones that are tied to the mother crystals. So destroying the mother crystals actually freed Raise them of them. their of their slumber, and yeah, they were the, kind of helping Ultima the whole time.
2: Basically, yeah, they created the crystals to um to harvest all the aether, yeah, to rebuild their race, their world, whatever, what have you. And so the job was done.
0: So he wanted you to destroy the crystals, right? So I think yeah. going tying this back, I think the implication is that Typhon is one of those copies of Ultima, one of those like one of those prisoners, so to speak, slumbering as the mother crystal, and and you defeating it, you actually kind of free it and in def- into de- destroying the mother crystal, mm-hmm. free another Ultima clone. Also, you are correct, Jason. Typhon's first appearance was in six. Um but yeah, this is the a very different Typhon. We've never seen Typhon look like this. So it's right. it kind of interesting that, that they use that name for this.
1: Creepy looking thing. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> so is the normal depiction of Typhon, just in a very different way. It is like like the, the way the way all
2: the attacks look looked in that fight and the way the arena looked felt very much like a near automata fight in
0: many ways, the color palette and everything. Mm-hmm. yeah Yeah. it's like a really bright room yeah uh also our i think that was our first i'm not counting the fight against with ifrit and phoenix at the beginning that was like our first true icon fight um yeah fully functioning yeah Hmm. wait no no
1: type is like
0: garuda Garuda yeah but garuda Garuda,
2: i I wouldn't count garuda so much either because it's you're just pressing forward and hitting the attack yeah it's button. a you it's a get.
0: pretty it's a pretty rudimentary like introduction to fighting as a free it's yeah it's not i mean still i, I i'd still say it counts it's that that's the tutorial fight if you if you cool. want to call it that I thought. it was cool every mm-hmm. every single one of these icon fights was cool yeah, yeah, yeah. i feel like th-
2: basically somebody was in a room was like thinking of these like kaiju s fights and it's like how about we make a final fantasy around this idea? Yeah. Like like they just started with that idea and just built everything around those the idea yeah. for those fights, yeah. It Somebody... also is
0: it is interesting that the series is kind of going in a direction where or and, and, and this isn't a new thing. This has been happening since um ar- arguably 8 uh where the the summons have kind of played a very core part of the story, I guess not eight eight didn't really the g f s weren't really a part of the story so much um maybe nine definitely ten the the these the summons were like a core function of the plot and and kind of driving it
2: well summoners and and like and summons have always, like in six the espers were the progression system. In nine, you had the Eidolon. I'm, I'm
0: purely talking oh, narrative, like, though, here. I'm talking yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Talking like a driving point for the story.
2: They were to a large extent in nine, um, because they were trying to get the summon. The, the, those were like the nukes, I guess. in, yeah. in that
0: the, the two of your, yeah, and 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 two, two of your primary party members had, uh, were, they were some. from
2: the summoner tribe, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, but it's an interesting direction for this series. It's, it's been, it's been kind of really driving that. I I would say 10 was the biggest the, the biggest start for it because Yuna was the whole point of that pilgrimage. The whole point of that story was to was to get the get the help of the Aeons. They the summons of that game were Aeons. Um but like it, since then uh I feel like 12 wasn't really so much focused on summons as as part of story progression, but 13 definitely was um 14 obviously the primals that they're they're a huge part of of that game's lore and story 15 same thing um and so on it, it it's been kind of a growing thing
3: mhm yeah
0: um let's say we talk about some more characters that'll kind of broaden things up with the story we we haven't really talked much about Clive what do you guys think of Clive is he the next great final fantasy main protagonist do you guys like him? Do you guys like looking at his big burly chest all the time?
1: I'll yeah, it's is first. great. I mean, he's <laughs> he's just a good guy. He's a man of the people. He's he doesn't have his foot up his ass. He doesn't use his political name or his magical powers to for any bad reason. He uses it for good, and he recognizes everyone needs to play a part to help this world. And um, he also helps. He does the side quests he does fetch quests he will collect sand even though he has mother crystals to destroy <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Gotta go so, find uh find that lost mail that the that the mailman the mailman dropped in uh in sandbrack
1: yeah exactly
2: yeah so what no else um, could do that <laughs> I'll, I'll have criticisms of this game but one i will not was their decision to experiment with just focusing on a singular character because as a result, I think Clive is probably one of one of, if not the most developed, um, leads in Final Fantasy history. Okay. Obviously, the the trade off is that you don't get as much screen time to develop others because your everything's from his perspective. But you literally follow Clive from uh, a not so confident, uh, insecure youth, or he even has a bit of jealousy, to a rageful. You and also, there are time jumps in there to help this to a rageful young adult, and you literally watch him mature and grow into a man who is a leader. Um, the game kind of starts. You you referenced earlier, Delilah, that scene between um Clive and his brother Joshua, where Clive admits he's a little jealous because mm-hmm. Joshua is the phoenix and everybody looks up to him, whereas, um uh Joshua feels like no, no 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 Clive you should have been the phoenix he's actually pretty insecure about himself and it kind of sets up almost the arc because by the end of the story Clive has become the leader he's grown into that man that role that he was so jealous of as a, and Joshua is the protector in many ways for most of the
0: game
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah um i i really uh, i think this is this is probably the only final fantasy character or this is the character that we've definitely seen the most of like their, their life, you know, that, that, that whole focus really allowed us to, to see a very meaningful arc in a reasonable amount of time for him. Mm-hmm. Um, And I really, really like and appreciate that. And I think it was also really smart to make the, uh, to, to make the, the opening chapter where where you, Playism as, as a teenager very short. Then the the second the second part up to the end of the first act where he's in his twenties he's very vengeful he's very he's very angry and and doesn't quite know he starts uncovering more information doesn't quite know where to where to go from there as he finds out more about the truth it was very smart to shorten that and have the longest part be him developing as a leader uh he takes on Sid's name he becomes the head of the hide hideaway. And fills fill some very very big shoes. Uh, I think it was very very smart to cut those other the, those first two chapters short, so that we could see not not short, but like you know have have them fulfill their purpose with plenty of time, and and not overdo it. Yeah. Um.
2: I also think I liked this a lot more than a lot of other. Not that I didn't like other Final Fantasy main characters. There's there's a trope in Final Fantasy um, character writing, that this game, I was very happy to see sidestepped. And it's not necessarily a bad trope, as I always say, tropes are tropes for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly a function of the fact that you usually have a full party and you're trying to split up time. And that is that a lot of character arcs hinge on a twist, a reveal, that tends to come later in the game.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I don't want to go into it more... In depth would be to get into spoilers of the Final yeah, Fantasies. Yeah. Mark knows what I'm talking about, though. Um, and that that isn't really the case here, maybe, not just for Clive, but a lot of the characters.
0: The, maybe just for the audience, do you want just just say a character's name to the people that know no The most like...
2: iconic the most iconic one is obviously Cloud, but okay, Lock yeah. Lock and six has this, Zidane in nine has this.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, even squall like well, all of the characters in eight have this because there's the yeah, twist. I, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um I definitely I mean I think there there is some of that but I guess it's not so contingent on Clive himself it's more contingent on the reality of who he is as if free dominant
1: mm-hmm. um
0: and then you kind of uncover more but that again that all happens like pretty much in the first act that's what I'm saying um, is like yeah there's, that, there's that's not the a ton setup happens, it's not yeah right pretty much everything that that works with Clive's arc is all happening in the moment it's the progression of the story that's informing who he is as a character um Mm -hmm. and i definitely like that also like shout out to ben Starr, clive's actor um incredible job the the Um, range all all the voice actors i think i i I yeah overall the all of the voice work is is phenomenal all all of the acting in this game is really really stellar um and i you i really can't complain about it but ben Starr is the lead he just did a, a really outstanding job um and it is, a, I think, in large part why Clive as a character will be so memorable, will stand or or stay with a lot of us, uh, in in the years to come, uh, after this game is, you know, after we've kind of left this game behind, you know, we've all played it and, and moved on from it. Um, Ben Starr did a fantastic job as Clive
1: for sure. Like the range from like being having like a deep, calm voice to like having this like kind of whiny like. Voice of despair when Clive was sad or nervous was just and even, phenomenal.
0: And even just to progress it from again his teenage years to his twenties to his thirties, like it, it it really shows. You know, mostly from his teens to getting older, um, you can you can hear the difference in his voice and and in, in his character. It, it the the range is just very very well done. Yeah. Right. there I is even... One
1: criticism I have of voice acting, actually. Uh-oh. Oh. It's that almost every kid is the same voice actor as Hugo in (laughs) A Plague Tale.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no. Well, the one that I heard was actually Amicia. I heard... Yeah, I heard um, uh, Charlotte McBurney play so many different young girls in this. I game. think they
1: both did then. They,
0: they very well might have. I didn't hear. I didn't hear um, Logan Hanan much. He's yeah. uh, Hugo's voice and Joshua's voice as a child. I didn't hear him too much, but I yeah. heard Charlotte. Charlotte McBurney everywhere.
1: Yeah, he, he was everywhere too. He was the the kid at the hideaway. There was the two kids at the hideaway. Wow. The, the boy was that voice. The, the kid in Dalmakia that saved Yeah. Was also he must Hugo. Have,
0: he must have masked it much better than Charlotte McBurney did. The two
1: kids at the end, what the blonde one had Hugo's voice too. Either that, or they <laughs> all sound the same. That was my only criticism. It, I was like, everyone it, is Hugo or Young possible.
0: Joshua. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, also, I I do want to really, I do really want to commend this game on. I feel like ninety five percent of the dialogue in this game was voiced and yeah. only like 5% of it wasn't and that's fucking amazing that that that's incredible mm-hmm. uh, i wish they would do that for 14 but they absolutely won't because there's five to 10 times more dialogue in 14 than there is in this yeah um, got it. that's saying something cuz there's a lot of dialogue in 16 <laughs> um, yeah but yeah like you don't i feel like you don't really see that in jrpgs definitely definitely not most final fantasies i feel it's it's very very cool that that so much of this was voiced and that the voice acting was so good yeah um i guess you know, we've talked about clive inheriting sid's name but we haven't talked much about sid uh what a badass intro for him to just come in and like zap all those zap all those uh those dalmex that were or no no they were iron iron kingdom guys yeah um to zap all of them and take clive out of the out of the desert uh that and was... shows
1: up with adult torgle
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh we'll get to torgle uh shortly but yes yeah, sid was sid was really really cool and I, I i do you guys feel like he was taken too soon or I... is that just <laughs> because i wanted more time with sid That's i wanted more it. time with
1: him that was the purpose though right like the whole yeah. time i missed him and I think yeah. that was effective.
0: Um, yeah, probably that's probably true. Did, did, how did you guys feel about his dynamic with Clive? Um, kind, them kind of like over like at uh, first they're both a little wary of each other, and then over time they kind of get a little closer. Did that was that effective to you guys? Did you did that endear you to his character? Um, for sure,
1: because it was also part of Clive's like. Um... Understanding himself and growing, becoming yeah. the leader that he is. So. And he and
2: Sid's the mentor. So he's got to die, or at least he has to appear to die.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I really like how, like you, you bring up how he has to appear to die, and I, I, th- I feel like that plays into this whole idea of taking on his name, finishing what he started, and like he die, he dies, but he dies really early in the game, at the end of the first act. But in a way, he's I like I I felt like um sid was like v and v for vendetta where he's not a person he's a symbol he's an idea um he he's he what he his name represents more than the person himself right mm-hmm. he he's he's more so this idea of liberation this idea of making the world your own and and, and again breaking free of those chains that bind you um and I, I really liked that angle. Uh I feel like this might be like the this might be the most um I've important Sid to a Final Fantasy game, arguably. I I don't know that I can think of a, another Sid that's like as core to the story, as important to the to the plot. To I the think plot. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't I can't think of another example um where where he's where he's this prominent. Uh, no, I you, I really like that. I think that's he, great.
2: Yeah, and you're definitely right about him being more of an idea. I yeah. mean, he is a character, obviously, and and I think they did and a great char- one at that. Yeah, they did characterize him well and also use him because he's obviously very knowledgeable. Like he, it's implied that he spent time in Walud, so and it's
0: implied that he
2: knows what Ultima is. Oh, or it's at least that has it's an idea. right? It's he what outright says.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's outright said that he um because he he was the lord commander under Barnabas. Yeah, yeah, until he until he left. Um because um, he they... realized that where this world was going, where Barnabas was going and in his his devout nature toward Ultima, it 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 was not it, he 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 saw the writing on the walls and he did something about it.
2: Yeah, but you I guess my point is just to say that they didn't just make him a symbol. He does have a character, but I do agree with what you're saying on the whole. And as for him, like dying at the end of act one, it's kind of like important that he dies there because he effectively represents, you know, the alternative, like either Clive can wallow in his grief, regrets and, you know, over, you know, his, I'll use the term again, his shadow, or he can seek. With his will, which is, if you read into the lore, very tied into the whole Rosarian um, religion of the founder. Being just as who built a cabin and slowly built a kingdom without the help of any gods or anything. It was purely by will of man.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Another tying into the thematic elements of slavery. Um, so, you know, he Sid kind of has to die there because it ultimately just presents Clive with a choice. And at the end of Act 1, that's kind of where you usually present your hero with that choice, I guess.
1: Yeah. And this is someone that, like, used magic to help people and bears. So he had to probably fight a lot. And um, he got hit with the Crystal Curse, so he knew that his time was short. So he basically passed on the baton to Clive and used his last abilities, like, effectively.
0: I think it's, and I also think it says a lot that I think the only, the only dominance that we saw had the, had the crystals curse were Sid and Clive, which you, you could look at that as that they were the ones, they were the ones fighting the most, using their powers the most, and they were doing it for the greater good. Technically,
2: Joshua, because they say there's a circle of stone around his heart.
0: Do they say that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting.
2: When when you first I, bring it back to Talia, yeah.
0: I always figured that. Well, that that also just could have been a result of him at the end he's of the back Yeah, he's containing right? Ultima. Yeah, but so, he's using his powers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I and I so okay. I guess, but again, Joshua still falls under that un, under that umbrella with Clive and Sid using their powers for the greater good. Um, so I I, I, I that that's fine. I'll, I'll still count that.
1: Joshua was also coughing and sick since he was a kid before he um, absorbed the yeah, and that's power.
0: I feel like that's something that that kind of doesn't go particularly explained either. Like why why was Joshua so sickly, um, even as a even as a child? I'm not tr- maybe there's something I missed that kind of goes into that. Um, yeah, but what one more thing we can talk? W- I, I I say we talk about Joshua. One more thing I do. Uh, want to bring up about sid is sid traditionally is an engineer and i like the angle that this game takes where they, they still establish sid as an engineer but that kind of lives more with his daughter mid yeah um and i think that's that's a really cool way to still incorporate those those ideas but but make it work with the idea that sid gets taken away in uh, very early in the game um, before it's established much that he's that he's got some engineering prowess
1: yeah I mean it was kind of hinted a little bit with the hide, um the not the hide yeah I guess the hideaway in the old hideaway I forgot what it was called um where they built the hideaway with the ancient structures
0: yeah yeah and the um, fallen ruins, yeah yeah but like I, I guess the, the biggest the biggest like um the, the biggest Thing to use to hammer this point home is the is the building of the the Enterprise, the ship. Yeah. Mm. Um. Mid Mid is the one that takes that on his daughter. So mm. that's normally that would be a Sid thing. Instead, it's a Mid thing here, which I I think works. It's it's and it's a bit uh, it's a bit of a subversion of what we come to expect with Final Fantasy when we hear a name like Sid. Uh, it's right. Pre- it, it's pretty cool. Right. Um, also,
1: was he smoking like, blunts the whole time?
0: <laughs>
3: no nah, i think it was just
2: supposed to be cigarillas
1: oh okay damn
0: could've, i mean it could have been blunts he could have been could have been yeah, yeah who knows that
2: that
1: that to sweet
0: how many greens bath- yeah stuff in those
2: gishel greens inside <laughs> the, exactly. the sweet
0: sweet and kush you know i don't know <laughs> he's got he's got karen on retainer to go get that stuff for him
3: yeah
0: <laughs> um <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit more about Joshua. Um, I really, I I don't think it's much of a surprise that he didn't die at the very beginning of the game. I think we all kind of expected he would they would contrive a reason or a way for him to survive. Um, I do find it a little I don't know if that's now I I will call it a little disappointing. And Jason, I think you can back me up on this with how fourteen uh they they've they've come they in the past several expansions they've ca- kind of found ways to contrive reasons for us to play as other characters in in between points within the the uh main scenario. Uh I do find it a little disappointing that we don't get to play as adult Joshua. We only play briefly as child Joshua. Um yeah. and his kind of skill set is very nerfed. I feel like it would I have been... a theory. Oh boy.
2: Because this is actually just a story criticism, which is that we're never really given a good reason as to why Joshua never revealed to Clive that he survived. Um, even after certain story points happen, where like in the very beginning when he's with um, when he's, you know, branded and he's, you know, forced to fight it kind of makes sense. But even after that, and, and Joshua always seems to be looming around him. We're never really given a good reason. Yeah, I have a feeling so- I have a feeling there were originally intended to be more Joshua play segments, but in order to keep the release date, they cut it or maybe it just didn't work out. Who knows what happened on the scenes? But I do have a feeling that originally the intent was we were supposed to get more time playing um, with Joshua also because Yote kind of gets not short. Sure, she doesn't get much time or exploration either. Um yeah. I have a feeling there was more meant to be explored there. And for whatever reason, that either
0: had to be cut, or they didn't have time. It's i i i could subscribe to that. That i i i think there were several points where they kind of set up for moments where you would play as Joshua, and yeah i i wouldn't say I felt shortchanged, but I definitely i was definitely a yeah. little disappointed.
2: I cer I certainly am fine with the way it panned out. I mean i yeah. still I still would criticize that we don't if, really get a good anything, reason for why he doesn't reveal himself. If you will, yeah, points, but...
0: that's a good criticism that's something I didn't really think about Like, there aren't many reasons you can think of why he wouldn't just reveal himself I did really like the scene in uh, in Dalmechia, I, I'm forgetting the name of the of the first town that you go to there. Oh yeah, where you go to the
2: inn with Byron and he's yeah. in the room upstairs. Yeah, and the and camera the,
0: work there, how it goes well, back and forth. Yeah, the big the biggest thing that I loved, and this is like th- this, it's a really obvious attention to detail. It's a really obvious detail because they establish it in an earlier cutscene. Joshua doesn't like carrots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Clive runs into the room, sees a, pl- a a plate empty except for carrots. Yeah. Yeah. and that kind of that kind of puts that thought in his head that had been Joshua I really really liked that it's a really obvious detail but it's one that I've, I really really loved yeah and there's also
2: the feather that keeps repeating every time he's nearby
0: yeah yeah kind of a, a calling card almost mhm uh Delilah please speak yeah sorry <laughs> i feel like it's just me and mark going back and forth sorry
1: <laughs> it's okay um like all right so the only thing i think that disappointed me about joshua's arc is that i didn't feel as emotionally connected to him as i wanted to when he died we don't really know if he did but i thought that that scene would be more heartfelt because we have like this really established relationship between kai and joshua from when they were kids but yeah. because we didn't really see them interact for most up until the end of the game, and most of that was just them doing missions together, there wasn't really. I felt like I got more heartfelt moments between Clive and Torgo and Clive and Jill, and there was not really anything like that with Clive and Joshua, except the fact that they're brothers, and Clive is supposed to be his shield. Yeah, so...
2: I will. I will state. Uh, I can understand that, and I will state. I might have a bias here, just because. I am an older brother about the same age difference so I can connect on that experiential level if that makes sense. So I might be biased to things like that where like I think that's actually a legitimate criticism that you don't get enough um, moments of levity between the two brothers um, that aren't like necessarily directly related to the plot to like kind of flesh out that relationship like you're saying.
0: I mean, yeah. they spend they spend most of their lives apart from each other, right? I'm like, I'm, like, I'm
2: just saying, like once Joshua is actually like in, and kind of just part of the no, yeah, party, I, I'm, if
0: you I'm, will. I'm I'm saying like I'm kind of agreeing with Delilah in that like jo- Joshua is perceived dead at the beginning of the game. Uh, thirteen years go by, and then five years go by, eighteen total years. Go by before they're reunited with each other. Like they've they spent the majority of their lives apart from one another. I definitely do agree that maybe maybe we should have had some more time to kind of establish that. Rela- like even if they're brothers, and I understand that bond goes deep, and they were they were close in their younger years. Like I, I I kind of I kind of do wish there was a little more of them like having a moment to like catch up and bond a little a, a little more. And um, we
1: had. Like side quests with Jill and Clive, even with Torgal like where they connect Gav, like where they connected these bonds a little bit more efficiently than the main story does. They I would have rather like had like a moment with Joshua before he left just to like set that emotion home.
0: I, I I'll I'll go ahead and say it. Clive and Gav have a better brotherhood than Clive and. Oh Jonathan my God! Do. They
1: connected like immediately, and then they <laughs> had that hug at the end, and I just well, you know, I lost it.
0: Re replaying the game, it's actually interesting how because like Gav is. Yeah. Gav is a little wary of Clive for like the first few missions until there's that scene where where Clive rescues Gav mm-hmm. when he's fall when he's almost fallen over the cliff, and after that they're just like total bros, and yeah. it's it's great. It's like. I, I guess we're wow, I, I didn't mean to just like shirk Joshua so we could talk about Gav, but Gav was great i I did not expect a character that I thought would be really forgettable early on um to to become like such a such a fantastic supporting character and and such a such a fun companion to have with with Clive, you know. Um. Yeah. really really enjoyed mm-hmm. Gav and his final his whole final mission where he's like you get drunk with him and yeah. he's like he you find out like about uh, his family and how they were lost to him and why he's kind of attached himself to Edda and her unborn child and stuff even if it's kind of a little icky howl um,
1: he immediately how, wants to be daddy <laughs>
0: yeah he's just like oh I'm gonna be a father it's like gav to
2: be fair says i think, I think yeah. that more plays into like because in that dialogue and in the in the quest that you're talking about whether at the bar
0: yeah
2: like he talks about it, he's like because he's basically yeah. like drunk and just pouring out all his insecurities yeah, yeah. and he's like i've always been a shitty brother and obviously he talks about the traumatic experience of yeah he had a baby sister i think it was for like an hour before a bunch of people came and killed his entire family yeah. and yeah. he just hid as a child but he, but even though it's not really his fault, he he puts that on himself and has that insecurity.
1: Yeah, yeah. for sure.
3: But um. But and
1: yeah, going really back to awesome. Joshua. Like,
3: oh, sorry. It, yeah, he's no. not even
1: like. <laughs> the point is, like that relationship was more heartfelt than, in my and opinion.
0: I, d- I definitely it's, agree and with you and... it's given
1: a lot more time to build yeah. and
0: develop and whatnot again like clive and joshua were apart more time for more time of their lives than they were together um and i they, they're legitimate brothers i i get that that bond runs deep it's just i i agree with delilah that th- i feel like they needed more time to kind of to kind of develop together Yeah,
2: i, I like more scenes like there was one very good scene between um between joshua and clive which is the punches clive yes Yes. (laughs) yeah it's probably my favorite joshua scene just because it is a very like brotherly like it's unexpected yeah it's unexpected coming and And it makes sense the writing in it is so good because all right so and this will probably lead into us talking about jill but they're talking about um jill taking or i'm sorry clive taking jill's icon from her and she volunteers to do it And then Joshua punches. her. You had no right to take that power from her. It's obvious. It's obvious that like the innuendo is that it's about him having sex with her.
0: Well, it's it's not. They're actually talking.
2: They're they're actually
0: talking about taking the icon. The way they use it as like a, a pun. But that conversation isn't just about that, right? The conversation is about is mostly really mostly about how Clive feels that he has to he has he has to do this, right? It's it has to be him that 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 does this on his own.
2: Yes, there Um, are a lot of there are a lot of layers that scene, but at the same time, it plays out almost like a a family feud, which is exact. I think exactly what Delilah would have been looking for more scenes like that, where it's just like brothers fighting or having fun over something.
0: Yeah. And frankly, this this game does the whole not not I I don't want to spoil this game and if you have played this game, we have a spoiler cast on it, go play it. This game does the whole lone hero, I need I need to be the one to do it. Uh that whole thing better than uh Horizon Forbidden West did with Aloy. Oh, yeah, uh, or at the sure. very least it's not as ham fisted in your face like Clive's not saying Clive's not saying every five seconds, no, I, I need to do this alone. Um, yeah. It's, it's but, a lot more subtle. Yeah.
1: For sure. I don't even think Clive uh, realizes that he's doing that, actually, until well, Joshua... Well, probably not, yeah. yeah.
2: It's a very interesting and ties back to the idea of the shadow. Because on one, on one level, it is just a character <laughs> thing where Clive feels like he needs to... Sh- sh- he feels like it's his responsibility to shoulder that burden. Um, but on another level, it's also because he's Ifrit and he's literally designed by Ultima to thirst for that power.
0: Yeah,
2: of of the other icons, it's, right. it's the animal brain, the id, the shadow. Yeah. Uh,
0: quick, quick side note: I love how every episode of this podcast is a theme. J- Jason finds one thing to latch on to and bring up. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: well, uh, it, you just, must have been really good at writing no, essays.
2: No, because yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, Jason, it's, it's just not.
0: It's not a bad thing. It's just a fun no. observation. <laughs> but like
2: I, I I mentioned earlier that they use the word shadow a lot and use it as a pun. So like Josh Joshua in particular constantly talks about how Ultima's working from the shadows. Now obviously he means what we all think he means. He's, you know, working behind the scenes, the, the right. common usage of it. But he's working from the shadows in that Ultima throughout the game is literally manipulating the shadow of almost every main character. He's manipulating their their demons, if you will, to use a or a phrase more people will probably be familiar with. Yeah, uh, he do, and he does it with Dion. He does it and to uh, uh, essentially affect his aims. He does it with Annabella. He does it with everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. and all through um oh God oh, Olivier that 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 is essentially the, well Olivier the is interesting
2: because he... was Olivier ever even a thing or was it no. just a... And, and, no,
0: i think he was i think he was just he was just like in i i think he was um i think he was just indoctrinated very early on or because he he blows up like a like the akashic yeah, the yeah, yeah, and like the akashic or becoming akashic, like i feel like that's not another thing that's kind of not fully explored in terms of um how like it's kind of implied you can be akashic which is to say you can be without a will of your own and not appear like a lot of the akashic do glowing blue with ether um because we, Barnabas exists he is he is a thrall to Ultima he is completely indoctrinated on, on, under under Ultima's control and ha- has very little will of his own Barnabas um, is also weird though because it's not clear that he's entirely human like Everybody else in the game. Well, he's an he's one of two characters that like don't really age, but because he's
2: he's from a completely different continent
0: originally. Yeah, yeah. He, he's technically not from Ash. He he kind of invaded and took over Ash and founded Walud on his own. Um, and yeah, he, but he doesn't age, and it's even mentioned multiple times that he doesn't age. By yeah, by he's by like other hundreds of years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. I'm I not, you know, to bring up characters that don't age. Like, I'm not trying to parallel him with Annabella. I don't think the game intended to make her not appear to age. I think it was just like a an, an oversight. They didn't want to create a different model or something for her as an adult, as a an older adult woman than when she yeah. was younger.
2: And also, just because we don't spend as much screen time with her, yeah, and it just makes it less confusing.
1: The way Olivier died made me think he was just a manifestation of Ultima because he just exploded like you said but at the same time why would Annabella think she had a kid if like right. she would know she got pregnant right
0: Like like I said I think I think she's just I th- or I think Olivier is just was just indoctrinated and tur- like turned to Kashyyyk. it's similar to how Barnabas is um very early on and was just it was being used as a pawn the whole time kind yeah. of pulling the wool over Sylvester's eyes and, and making it so Ultima, by extension, could control Sam Breck, uh, which Dion right. saw right through and tried to do something about, and we already talked about that. Um, did we have anything else to talk about with Joshua? <laughs> or do
1: Not we... really, no. Okay.
2: No, I, I, yeah, Joshua, like I said, I have a theory that we were supposed to get more,
1: Yeah, and, and
2: I, just I... as a result of... Um... You know, for time and, yeah, and let,
0: yeah, let's also not forget like this game has been in production since 2016, but a, a good chunk of its development happened during COVID. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. it, it's very possible that things were cut in the interest of time. It's just the one disappointment I have again is that we didn't get the payoff of playing as Joshua as a kid, where his his move set is very limited. He's very slow to then get to play as Joshua and as as an adult. And that that could have been a really cool, like, payoff to that early moment. Yeah. yeah. Now he's fast and has an actual moveset and can be a total badass that you get to play as. And Del- Delilah, you wouldn't know about this, but Jason is definitely aware. Like, f- 14, there's lots of instances during the main scenario where they'll have you play as a different person they'll give you like certain commands that you can use and personally I love those sections I think they're really creative they let you try out different jobs that are in the in the uh in the game under like a limited setting um and it's just a, those are really cool story moments and it's kind of disappointing that that same team couldn't find ways to implement that here uh yeah. cuz I really really was hoping for it and would have loved it
1: Yeah for sure I do have a question about Joshua though What's do, if you had guys had to guess who his love interest was, I know it's all very subtle. Who would you think it is? Because I I have three people that I think he might have had a crush on. But
2: um, I, I had assumed that there was an, like an implied slightly more than platonic relationship with Yote. That was my perception of it.
1: Yeah, hey. I thought that at first too.
0: I think I was thinking there was something between him and mid
1: yeah that's that's who i would guess
0: yeah if, if from what i remember of their interactions it kind of seemed that they were they were like you know two kids that ha- had a thing for each other but didn't want to admit it and didn't really know how to act around each other in front of other people like that kind of thing you know you he made which her smile been...
1: more than anyone in the game
0: yeah
2: which yeah. also makes sense or because they're polar sorry. opposite personalities.
1: Right, yeah, but like no one made Joshua smile like like mid made him smile Oh, she is the most silly though in his defense, but
0: yeah, she's a total goofball,
1: yeah,
0: um
2: yeah i think I think Joshua is a character i I think Delilah hits it kind of right on the head where he just suffers as a result of he's out of the game for so long, yeah, he's out of yeah. the story for so long, um, and again Which again I have, all the more reason my theory, why sh- but.
0: Yeah, all the more reason why we should have had a a, a few sections where we play as him. Like I mm-hmm. think that would have been, I think that would have been so so good, uh, uh, gameplay payoff and narrative payoff. I think it would have been great. Okay, we need to talk about Jill. <laughs> um, I feel like her arc closes a little too early in the game. Um, and I, I feel like the game then doesn't really know what to do with her other than make her a yes man for Clive. What are your guys' thoughts on Jill? Um, uh do you want to first of all?
1: I I didn't mind her being a yes man for Clive just because that was there was so much build up to that from when they were kids and it just felt very authentic and beautiful and classy. Yeah.
0: I mean and, and don't get me wrong, I liked their romance. I think the, I think the scene where they're naked on the beach of Ash is nothing short of beautiful. I think it, yeah. it it was a very good scene. Dialogue was great. The whole purpose of that scene was fantastic. And I feel like that was something I, I don't know if you guys about you guys, but I I feel like a lot of me and a lot of people especially a friend of mine that was playing the game like we were waiting like when are they gonna do so it much When up are, to... they yeah. do it? are they gonna do it what are they gonna acknowledge that they you have you can watch any any
2: big streamer playing this game and yeah that's like yeah. throughout the game they did a really good job of that of like putting moments throughout the game oh, are they gonna kiss or they gonna say
1: anything on that? and then yeah. building
2: up to that yeah they did and a also, very good job with the romance. And
1: that happened from when they were kids, too, where, like, mm-hmm. he hesitated to put his arm on her. um, And and usually when they finally do the, like, kiss reveal, like, oh, yes, they're a thing, finally, it's either cheesy or dirty. And I felt like that scene was just gorgeous and beautiful and very classy. And I barely like romance in a game, and I've really connected with this romance. So it's hard for me um, to, like criticize her becoming like a yes person to clive because of that but also like who wouldn't be a yes person to clive like not just because of like his appearance or whatever but like just like his purpose like it's hard to not like want to do anything you can to like follow this person because he's doing something grand
0: i guess what i mean is like her when i say her arc got closed too early it was when when her and clive go to the iron kingdom to destroy that mother crystal and she 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 kills her um her her abuser yeah Yeah, she kills she kills her patriarch she kills her oppressor uh i don't remember his name um and by the way the the dialogue in the like the 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 japanese dialogue and thus the translated uh subtitles for that japanese dialogue much more graphic than what we got in english um implies like a lot of like sexual abuse on top of a lot of the other like you know on, on top of the the slave aspect where Jill was kind of forced to fight for that kingdom um there's a lot more layers to it in the Japanese text which I thought was a uh, w- was interesting to to find out yeah um but I feel like that all just happens really early and after that they like her arc is pretty much closed then there's not really much for them to do with Jill from that that point out, she's just going along with Clive, obviously she's on she's along alongside she's ride or die with him um to the point where obviously for most of the game, they put duty before booty um and I, I just feel like they're like really early on for that to happen. there just wasn't really much for her to, them to do with her, and i think at that point we still don't get joshua as an additional character for clive to bounce off of for a while so it's pretty much just clive and her going with the motions
2: yeah i think uh, i would push back against that a little bit because so uh, i see a lot of people kind of misinterpreting the, the arc that you're talking about with the patriarch as just pure vengeance which it isn't it it isn't. it's In her eyes, redemption.
0: Yeah, it's her, uh, again, breaking free of the chains. Yeah,
2: because she views herself in the beginning as a monster. Even even if the reason that she did the things she was doing was to prevent other people from getting harmed, she still did terrible things, and the only way to stop that was to kill the person who was doing terrible things and forcing other people to do terrible things. It was more of her not being a monster than getting vengeance, per se, even though, obviously, it's kind of like layered in there with that um but i felt like for her a lot of the game after that was actually finding a purpose at least that's what i got from the dialogue the extended dialogue with her because that's even the the last um side quest you have with her where you set up the flower field you're talking about what are we going to do after all of this
0: well like, i think and i think that side quest like definitely gets to gets to that point it's just that happens yeah. right at the end of yeah. the game yeah and the iron kingdom happens much earlier
2: you know i i I do get what you're saying i think the reason they did that was because there's also they have to matriculate fully matriculate the love the romance yeah with that scene with the icon which again i love (laughs) they use the icons as an innuendo for sex even obviously the characters are naked we know what's going on but like Mm -hmm. um but the game even ends on her seeing the rising sun calling back to that dialogue between her and right. Clive, where she's talking about that time from a time from her childhood where she was crying because she, and even that kind of build on that character arc where as a child, she was effectively a ward. She was effectively a prisoner, a political prisoner. Yeah. And she had overheard uh Annabella and other ladies of the court talking about who she would be married off to. Yeah. So like for her, for most of her life she never had a choice and now she does and that's what part of kind of what's represented with the Dawn with her, with Torgal, kind of now she has the choice to choose how she will live her life so I, I do get what you're saying um, and can understand it, but I also interpreted more going on there than just that one arc of her redeeming herself and all the terrible things she was forced to do and getting over that that hump mm-hmm. There were, there was more to her, she had to in the same way that kind of Clive found purpose, she had to find purpose, and kind of had to find a way um, to, like you said, break the chains and kind of forge her own path.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and you're right. It was just one chapter, right, dedicated to like her her redemption. Uh, but I felt like a lot of her character development was in her facial expressions because she wasn't mm-hmm. really a verbal person. Like she didn't yes. talk too much. She was quiet. And so in the beginning of the game, there, she was very stoic, like you couldn't really tell what she was feeling, what she was thinking. And then after she had that chapter, that redemption, she showed a lot more emotion in her face throughout the rest of the game. And for me, that was just enough for, for Jill, for me.
2: Yeah, plus That's like hard. the romance, was, I agree with Delilah, the romance was so good, I would actually rate it potentially one of, if not the best in the series. Um I would put it
0: I would put it up there. I don't know if it's the best. But, yeah, I don't
2: I don't I don't know if I would go so far as to say the best. I would have to think about it for a while. Like I think Lock and Lock and Celeste from six is is, is another one that jumps to mind.
0: I, I would also um, honestly argue Tetis and Yuna because that whole game no. is a is a build up of their romance. Um, I, I'm not I, I'm not I, I know debate a lot of right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know
2: I know a lot of people will say that one. And I just think it, that's an awful
0: I we're, yeah we're not gonna get into that. Yeah, we won't um, get into that yeah, here. But this isn't to say that I don't like Jill. I I do. I really like her character. It's just I I was kind of hoping for a little more from her after the Iron Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not to say that I did not like her character or anything. Yeah. Um, Torgel though, I did not expect Torgel to like go fucking become a frost wolf and go all Fenrir and shit. That yeah. was uh a, definitely a, a surprising a surprising twist.
2: Another criticism so I'll have is that oh boy, it is that plot point is very contrived, like Deus Ex Machina. Oh, for sure. Needs, yeah, it needs to happen now.
0: Well, I don't think it necessarily even. I don't think it necessarily mattered. Like it, if if he had, if they hadn't written that in, um, it wouldn't have affected the story much in the event that it, or in during the moment that it happened. Um, I just thought I I I. I don't know. It was just like yeah, kind of it's an not unexpected even, thing.
2: It's not even, I mean, it, it is a major plot point in the sense that it prevents them from dying, but, but like within the grand scheme of things, like it doesn't affect the bigger picture that much. You're right. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying like, I'm trying to find criticism. So I don't just sound like I'm gushing. It, it, <laughs>
3: did,
0: it, <laughs> it did lead to a funny line from Harpo- Harpocrates uh, mentioning that he uh, couldn't get his face out of his nuts or something like that. T- Oh my god,
2: I love Ko- Koji's writing in the puns. The, yeah. the side quest called Cock and Balls,
0: yeah, for
2: the for the
0: tarring for the boat. Oh my god, yes. I mean, it wouldn't be a a, Ko- a Koji Fox uh, Final Fantasy game if it wasn't loaded with puns. Yeah, um, I think even some of the quest names had like some some cheeky references here and there. Like, I just can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in typical fourteen or CBU three fashion. Um, yeah all right we gotta we gotta plow through some of these other characters i just make um, one
1: criticism with jill and torgle oh go ahead so they're supposed to have like this deep connection right Frostwolf. wolf yeah, so she, she's
2: like a princess from the northern kingdoms that rosaria defeated that's why she's a ward and, and yeah. the, the frost wolf comes from be, the north yeah yeah
1: um when they first reunited uh there was nothing <laughs> like yeah I expected Torgo to like jump on her and her to be like, oh my god, like, you're like that with a dog every day, you get home from work, the dog's there, you're like, oh my god, you know, like you saw it for the first time, and they hadn't seen each other for years, and Torgo was always in her arms, like as kids, and when they finally reunited, I expected more, and that didn't happen, so that was like, I was like, eh, that sucks.
0: I do like that they kind of establish that Torgel he has he doesn't have a, necessarily a connection to Shiva, but a connection to any dominant, which explains why Torgel goes through the phase of being really close with Clive and being really close with Sid. Um, if if any of the other dominants, I'm sure if Dion was around for long enough, he would have become close with Dion as well. Um, I think that's uh, that's mm. really uh, a really cool detail.
1: But he wasn't close to Benedicta. <laughs> And I don't blame
0: no. him. Yeah, not close to Benedicta. He was uh, angry. I mean, hey, let's talk about Benedicta. Or or well, let's just open it up to the remaining dominance that we haven't really talked about. Benedicta, yeah. Hugo, and uh, Barnabas we uh, touched on a little bit, but not a lot.
2: So real um, quick
0: about Benedicta, just, I wanted to ask you guys what you think.
2: Because it's obvious, it's not even implied. It's It's very much explicit that there was a deep Love connection there between um between Sid and Benedicta. Yes, yeah. I don't know if any of the ATL or lore entries said it explicitly, but my assumption because at one point Sid says, "My uh she's she's my biggest regret," simultaneously my biggest regret, but my best decision. Best decision is Mid supposed to be her daughter?
1: Mid's an adoptive Ooh. daughter to Sid, actually.
2: Is she? Is, uh, oh, is she?
1: Yeah, they don't reveal that till the end, though. In a in the lore.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's that. I was man. the whole time.
1: I was like, "Who's Sid, baby mama? I gotta know. I gotta know." And then they said <laughs> it was adopted, so I was like, "Damn it!" But yeah. Okay. Um, but I... they did have a, a a very strong love connection. Yeah, and I was like, "Come on, Sid, you could do better." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, um, well, you know, it, it, that uh, I almost felt a little disappointed that she died so early because with her and Sid having this history, having this deep connection, like obviously, like Hugo was like deeply in love with Benedicta, but she didn't really care about Hugo all that much. No, she, no. she was kind of him. just using yeah. him. But she did have this deep love of Sid, and I would have, I, I was kind of interested to see if, if, she would come around and and suddenly you know eventually become an ally uh, maybe a cautious one or or an, you know, not a willing partner but like maybe maybe some maybe an ally out of convenience or something you know but she 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 obviously dies very early in the game and we don't really get that um yeah, yeah.
1: and i think we were at the point where she was just too far gone away yeah. from whatever that was yeah and They didn't really explain too much, like the relationship. Like it's implied that he like saved her and stuff, but
0: yes, well, it's it's implied. It definitely is implied that she was kind of she was kind of treated as like, you know, a prostitute. She was definitely treated as lesser. Um, uh, uh, among the people of Walud until Sid yet yeah, came in and 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 kind of saved her and gave her gave her more of a purpose. They fall in love, and then Sid says, "All right, peace. I'm out." Barnabas is fucking crazy. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, and she and she felt very. She probably felt more betrayed by that than Barnabas ever did. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: which which makes a lot of sense given that she then uses her sexuality to manipulate and take advantage that's... of all these men because that's something you see in real life with people who have traumatic relationship issues or have feelings of dejection. uh, Like a real femme
0: fatale. Like she's, she's a, she's a huge femme fatale. And uh, I, I I think it it was a little disappointing for her to be the first to go. But then again, we got the really great rivalry uh, between Clive and Hugo uh, mm-hmm. Where, it's more more appropriately, Sid and Hugo, because Hugo is just chasing after Sid the, uh, until he finds out that Sid is Clive, um, and mistakens him as the one that cut off Benedicta's head. Um, and this uh, is a very uh, Game of Thronesy thing, where
2: initially we're just given a box with head. And it's we don't know who it is, so it's kind of like left up to speculation.
0: I mean, we don't even know that it's a head. Right? we we just kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, Hugh, Hugo Hugo opens a box and is horrified and angry, and 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 then goes on an all-out war with with Sid. We presumes did it, and I mean, yeah. he's right. But but
2: that's that's a very uh, that's not even a Game of Thrones show thing. That's a book thing. Like any everybody knows, like the purple letter, all the different letters. Spec- I mean, uh, but like, yeah, like uh, having even having more, such uh, a key plot point that isn't—it's left to speculation. Obviously, later it's explained. But
0: an even more parallel example—and sorry to spoil a movie that came out in like nineteen ninety-five—but like Seven, you know that—that's the whole big uh, uh, reveal at the end of at the mm-hmm. end of that movie is uh, you know, you know, I I don't need to get too explicit with it, but I I think anyone I think that people knows, who know knows, will know, yeah, yes. <laughs> um but yeah i think the rivalry between between clive and, and hugo is great i do feel it's a little funny that like th- this is obviously disconnect between narrative and gameplay where you're slashing at things with a sword and like they're taking damage but then in cutscene mode clive slashes at his hands and his hands come off <laughs> Oh,
2: yeah. that's just a video game thing yeah. I know
0: it's it's like again the disconnect between uh, you know or or more uh you know fancily said ludonarrative narrative dissonance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um he he just completely dehands uh or I, I guess disarms Hugo, yeah, um which was definitely a spec. I really enjoyed that fight, um, that was. Probably mm. the
1: coolest Icon fight, in my opinion. Oh,
0: I'm not even talking about the Icon fight. I'm talking oh. about, like, the, the, the one-on-one the fight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, The Icon fight was, like, that was probably the best spectacle fight. Um, yeah. And that was also soaking at his most unhinged with the music. <laughs> fucking doing, <laughs> yeah. like, This, like, crazy techno beat on top of some, like, badass boss. Again, it, it makes sense that, um,
2: Platinum was one of the studios that helped out with this, because, like, that was another one of those moments that felt like I was playing a near game,
0: yeah. Not the, just yeah, even the, the
2: gameplay, but like the music and kind of the atmosphere setup. I mean, yeah, it, it,
0: it, even like near aside, like Platinum has a lot of chops with big spectacle action. So right, like, Bayonetta, and, yeah. yeah, Bayonetta, a uh, wonderful one hundred and one. You know, there's a, they, they've they've got they've got the chops for for big spectacle action. Um, I also find it really funny that like they they said that um, uh the Osaka Studio, I think, for Kingdom Hearts, assisted a little bit with development, and I think that probably comes through in Ramu's uh, inherent skill with the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shoot shoot. Uh, uh, what's it called? Like, Chain Lightning or something? Yeah. I can't actually remember, but that's like a shot line. Bolts of Kingdom Judgment, Hearts. I think, or something like that. Uh, mm. uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to like hear. Oh, so and so developer helped with development, and then you play it and you're like, ah, that's what they did. That's definitely what they helped <laughs> with. Um, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, other characters, we got we got to power through some of these. Uh, there's a bunch of hideaway characters we haven't said a lot about. The one that I would definitely want to bring up because I thought her side quest was great was Karen finding oh, out yeah. how she lost her eye and kind mm-hmm. kind of her taking taking that revenge i thought that was great yeah she she's um, a yeah. badass yeah she's i love how they they named her karen yeah. um yeah yeah and like she's the most badass karen i've ever seen even yeah. like it's spelled differently yeah but it's like she's a karen through and through and she's the most badass one possible um
1: her and goats's relationship is adorable
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> or goats yeah. whatever
0: yeah, they, they, I feel like Goetz doesn't get a ton of background or anything. He's just kind of, he's, he's the lovable oaf, and uh, he's still a good character. We just don't get a, a ton of import, like, imp, he doesn't get a ton of, like, uh, uh, of spotlight, you know?
1: Yeah, just that one mission where he goes from being, like, a big dope who's scared of everything to, like, actually trying to fight to protect yeah. his... Is Nina or what does he call Gra- Karen Nan Nan? There you go. Mm. Uh, and I,
0: I I do love we we didn't we haven't talked about some of these story moments where the like the party so to speak like gets really involved, but like that that last leg of the Wallud invasion where the boat crashes into the wall and they all jump off to help. Yeah, um, that was like truly badass. Such a such a great moment for all those characters. Um really really loved that uh i think taria was also really good and uh, in, in her progression of like warming up to to clive over time the the quest where you kind of uh put her master to rest um i think it yeah. was, was really good well done it's it's just I i really love how much attention was given to a lot of the People in the hideaway, like Otto, well, gets they, some they, backstory. They, they
2: kind of became part of the party.
0: Yeah, you know, no, way. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like uh, like Otto, you get like more insight into him and Sid's relationship and how much he misses Sid. He gives up the goblet once he finds the note, or once mm-hmm. Clive finds the note and gives it to him, and. It's, it's just really, it's really sweet. And like, even not even these named characters, or I shouldn't, every, pretty much every character in the hideaway is named, but I'm talking about like the important, besides the important ones, there's that one NPC in the hideaway that slowly over the course of the game learns how to read. And like you, you like early in the game, she starts off. She's just like reading picture books, oh, and yes. over time, she's reading. She's she's learning to read, and by the end of the game, you you go by and like you hear the dialogue between her and other NPCs, and she's written a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, just like that kind of thing is like all throughout the hideaway, you get these like little micro stories of these NPCs that you can't directly talk to, but like if you walk up to them, they'll like automatically say something to you. Yeah. Or they'll be saying something to each other. And like, there's just these little, these little micro narratives that happen. And, paying attention really is really rewarding because there, there's like these little mini stories that you can put piece together that are fascinating.
2: Yeah, like the the botanist person who was originally at the old hideaway, like the apprentice for the side quest and then becomes the main well, that, person. That
0: And well, that's t- yeah. actually tied into side quest too. And like uh, yeah. even the side quest, like, uh, you know, uh, the side quest, I think what we can say is like, yeah, maybe there's still a little too many and they might be a little too gratuitous, kind of cookie cutter. You kind of do the same thing in every single one. But, like, they're not there to offer you new things to do. They're off there to offer you new stories. Yeah. Yeah. New tales. And if you're not invested in the writing, if you're not invested in the stories they are told, then you're going to hate them. Which is why the side quests are super divisive in this game. Right.
1: Well, I like the character and world building that the side quest did i couldn't stand the journey to get that information yeah it's like (laughs) go here get this thing oh but you have to get more information about this thing from this person and then you go there and the person's like oh no you actually have to talk to this person it's kind of like a it's a chase to get this information i feel like it would have been better in like just dialogue or interactions rather than making me go around and fight a thing or collect a thing
2: there are definitely some that are a bit too long but I, um, i i get what you're saying
0: I'm gonna chalk this up to CBU three having only really developed an MMORPG, and it's I don't I don't know Jason if you felt the same way as I did, but like there's a lot of Final Fantasy. There, there's 14, a lot of fourteen. Yeah. There's a lot of fourteen in this game. This basically feels even, like Final even, Fantasy fourteen in some very shocking ways, and not even in combat. Scary. Yeah,
2: combat is telegraphed in the same way it is in 14, yeah.
0: Which, like, there's some aspects of that that I really like, and there's some that I don't like, and we'll talk more about that when we get to combat. But in the side quest design... I feel like I was very forgiving for the side quests being that way, Delilah, where it's just like, go talk to this person, go find these things, go back, turn it in and whatnot, because 14 side quests are even more abundant and they're all the same shit. Yeah, But um... like the writing in, in a lot of those side quests is pretty much just like straight to the point and doesn't offer much. Whereas here, it's like you're getting some deep backstory about these side characters that you're really invested and interested in. And so I just I kind of just tuned out and didn't really care because I've done this a million times before. Um right. But I, I understand why it's so why a lot of people don't like it. And,
2: and, and I'm I'm gonna say something that might be come off as a hot take. I don't know. Um, I felt like it. I felt like most of these side quests, given the kind of they didn't have much really to much variety to give you in terms of gameplay for the side quests. So they were relative. Most of them were relatively short and easy to complete. Most of them. Some of them did, like Delilah say said, um, stay a little too long past their welcome. But I've seen a lot of people compare these to like side quests and say The Witcher Three or something like that. No. But here's the here's the problem. What are you actually doing in terms of gameplay for? side quests for games like the witcher or maybe the elder school all these open wall games let's use the witcher as an, as an example you're following you're pushing forward on the stick and you're holding a button to use your witcher sense to follow the path which is effectively masking the fact that you're just following a path to a combat engagement which is effectively the same thing you're doing in most of these side quests
0: i i i agree with you and I, I like, I, I get it, and I agree with you. I think, I think maybe the, the issue is just that the, a lot of the side quests in this lead to the same old enemies. Um, right. I There's feel like the enemy variety, variety doesn't get, it doesn't, it doesn't really grow much past the midpoint of the game. Yes, um, I agree.
2: I'm not, I'm not trying to say that these side quests are, in terms of the actual quest design and and the enemy variety and the thing like the gameplay aspects that you're talking about i'm not trying to defend it on that level oh i know i'm i'm just like a lot of people like are, are really being I, hyperbolic when they say that these agree- quests are bad i do agree with
0: you I they're completely agree they're
2: generally you. short and to the point in terms of the story and what it's trying to convey
0: yeah i mean i, th- I think the question that anyone that anyone that's super critical of these side quests I think the question that those people need to ask are, well, what do you what do you expect? What would make this better? How would you change this up that you would be pleased with it? And can you find a satisfying answer to that question? And I feel like most people that complain about them probably can't. Um, the okay, go ahead. No, no, please, <laughs> no, the line. Answer. No. I, I would love to hear yeah. it.
1: Because um, I I I don't think the side quests are bad. That like I said, the information's great. It's just the yeah. journey to get there. Right. Is... Right. It's, and... it's not.
2: It's not well masked like it is in, say, The Witcher, where there's there's a bunch of stuff that in reality you're just repeating over and over, like holding the Witcher sense button to see the path that you need to follow to the combat encounter. Like, yeah, th- that's just part of game design. And I do agree with you, Delilah, that it isn't well masked here.
1: I think um, the two things like that stand yeah. out for me in comparison is that the witcher is an open world game so you stumble upon these side quests naturally like you're just on your way to whatever mm-hmm. and then it happens so it feels like integrative to the world whereas this game is very structured like oh you have a big story moment and then pop 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 pop, pop all these side quests <laughs> yes and- <laughs> I,
2: I, th- that's where i'll agree with you where like the pacing of the side quests and in fact some of the side quests should have just been part of the main quest to be honest in terms some of, of the main question
0: questions have just been side quests yes, so like, yes. Mids. <laughs> i will yeah. agree with yeah you. you just you just kill titan then you go back to the hideaway and mids like i need engine parts please <laughs> help me clive Oh, fine all right yeah, yeah the the,
2: pace, the pacing of them especially like you get that last dump right before the suicide mission yeah um
0: and and again I like I feel like a lot of these things like they are things that are in 14 and I love 14 and an MMO, MMO design is very different from single player video game design. So it's like I feel like I'm just more forgiving of this game for doing a lot of the things that 14 does because I'm I'm so invested in 14 and I kind of see where the studio is coming from but I definitely feel it could have been improved. I think the the biggest thing I would say that some of these side quests could have used is drop Drop map markers entirely. Like, give me a description. Like, and this is like quest design as it exists in like in the 2020s, right? Um, in Final Fantasy VII, when you got a side quest, you didn't have a map or markers on a map to follow. You had to infer or figure out what to do, or buy the Brady Game Strategy Guide for fifteen dollars or whatever. Yeah, to find same out thing what
2: with the same it. thing with like old school Elder Scroll. Right, Elder Scrolls exactly. Games. You had and, to read the journal.
0: And that shit is totally lost in the modern day video game. Because we all have a map, and we all have markers on the map, um, and, 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 and you just you just go to where the marker tells you to go to continue the quest. Um, and I think maybe this game should have had side quests where you had to figure it out yourself. You didn't just follow the map marker, go there, do the thing, and go back. Yeah, because...
1: Um, but... Yeah, sorry.
0: No, 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 That that, that, that that's basically it. What were you
1: i was just gonna say cause then it because then it it became formulaic where it yeah. was like two hours of main quest four hours of side quest, and i only know this because i did a full playthrough on youtube so my yeah. side quest episodes would be like three to four hours my main quest episodes would be an hour and a half to two hours yeah. so the side quest took up the most time and it it's not that i don't i don't mind that it's it's just the the formula of it made me feel like i had to do it at that moment whereas mm-hmm. other games like the witcher or zelda it feels like i can do it whenever i want and it just comes up naturally as i'm exploring and so it it feels less like eh. plus yeah. final fantasy 16 has a fantastic story the Witcher 3, the main story sucks. What makes that game is a side quest. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's kind of like I was just ready to get back to the meat and potatoes of this game. And it, I felt like that was kind of taking me away from it mostly. But then I, when yeah, I I, was I very rewarded. much agree with you
2: with the pacing of the side quests, how they're doled out, how yeah. it's integrated. And I think that for them, that was, um, in terms of like the scope of the focus for this game overall, they did keep it very limited and narrow, which does have, you know, um does have its uh deficits like this where the side quests are just kind of plugged in there even though a lot of them have like very important story stuff and very interesting story stuff. I think one of the reasons I put up that I, I didn't mind the side quest was just because I love the micro stories within them right. so much. Especially the way they develop like all of the NPCs. Like I remember Quentin's name. Like yeah. Quite Like and I remember his entire story. Like he was like this high noble guy who gets wronged and is seeking vengeance. Goes builds a town. Like I remember him by name. He's just the, the fucking first NPC quest giver. For
1: sure. And know. another game that does that is Mass Effect. But the thing is, Mass Effect tells those stories through dialogue rather than making you do like all of these steps to get to that story moment. Yeah. You know what you're, I mean? You're
0: much more involved with with the uh, the progression of that narrative. Yeah. Than, uh, than you are here. Um, right so i i I get that uh if if we want to talk real quick about those side quest stories uh that the game tells, I think the best one for me was the one um in Dalmachia between the brother and sister theo and i- i forget the sisters oh, name. oh yes
1: eloise
0: yes or... uh, yes eloise um where where it ends with him dying right Go he he he, becomes, he goes akashic, yeah. Mm-hmm and like the whole the whole story between those two was like he was a he was born a bear and she like helped hide that and 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 they kind of ran away and she's kind of been protecting him this whole time and he wants to kind of make it up make make it up to her and kind of make make it so she doesn't have to do that for him anymore and um they they, they he goes to that one that one town that's getting attacked and Spence the, the the dragon wouldn't leave him alone and and he winds up going akashic and she, that was definitely
2: um, one of the better ones yeah that
0: that the the conclusion of that was the only one of those that like really affected me um like i think the the one in the one in dalmechia was really good or not not dalmechia the 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 one town in dalmechia with lubor Dalabil. Dalamil, yeah. Dalamil, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, the one with Lubor was good, and like I, I would, I wouldn't say the any of them were bad. Maybe the Undying one was kind of lame. Um, yeah.
2: I think, I think, like in terms of my favorites, this one isn't like an, a, a quest giver one. Um, but it and it kind of encompasses multiple characters because some of the characters die. Um, the way they take a guy that you just think is a random tutorial character and give him a full backstory you end up meeting he's he's like your um your mentor when you're becoming you know part of the the knight the the shields um and you duel him in the beginning it's the combat oh, tutorial
0: uh, rodney Murdoch. rodney
2: yes the murdochs yes yeah you you meet his wife later at which point clive doesn't even realize that he died because of him in in the fire at um phoenix gate yeah um yeah. she she regales you with tales of your father gives you his clothes Come back, find her dead, and then later on in the game you find, I think it's their nephew, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's Rodney's, and nephew. Neph- becomes Rodney's nephew becomes your squire. Yeah, Except, Which like, brings full circle and is just a cool reflection on yeah. the growth of
0: Clive as a character. My, my one issue with that is I, I don't think we ever really get... I feel like we should have gotten a quest with him with, yeah. to, put, to put Clive in that kind of uh, tutor role. You mm-hmm. know, uh, we never really got that. We did, we did get that with a different NPC. There was that side quest with the 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 one the one guy that was training to be a uh, a scout, and yeah. he you you, you kind of help him with that quest. He you save him from being attacked by a thing. But while you're fighting the thing, he goes and gets the thing that he was supposed to get, and you have to kind of decide like should he should he or should he not be a scout? Um, yeah, I feel like that needed to be that needed to include the nephew, the the Murdoch nephew to to really hammer that point home of him being a squire to, to Clive. Yeah. Um
2: yeah, but I, I liked pretty much all the like I liked like I mentioned Quentin and Quentin actually comes to play a larger role in the bigger story. Huge. Yeah. Um a like, huge role um in terms of like the history of the land, the dame and all the politics of that city and the nuances of it. Like yeah. I, I just felt like The way it simultaneously told little micro stories, as you said before, but at the same time built the world and made it feel like a place with cultures. I I really dug stuff, and I can see how people who don't necessarily like that and felt like it detracted from the main story and hurt the pacing did, like, you know, had came away with a, a much, much different view of the side quests.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm definitely split, but uh, some side quests that I really did like what, were the more ones in the beginning. Uh, they were super dark. And oh,
0: well, those those were the first one. Sorry to cut you off, Delilah. Yeah. I, I just want to say, like, those are the first ones that really started to make the side quests feel important. Yeah, yeah because exactly. they, they were actually really effective world building just on account of how fucked up they were.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. Right. They, they and... give you
2: insight into the cultural views. Yeah. And also, like, just it's a natural part. You look at any form of slavery throughout human history and dehumanization on a cultural level is an important part of it, simply because you have two conflicting, you need the slaves for economic and survival purposes, but at the same time, evolutionarily, like, it's another human being, You there's a natural hes- hesitancy to harm them.
1: Yeah. And but that's even... why, you
2: know, a hierarchy of needs introspection needs to be taken out. That's why so many soldiers are so fucked up when they come back is because they've gone so long without introspection in order to be able to kill other people. It's the same thing with dehumanizing others into slavery. Yeah. Um, it, it leaves that cultural and social impact. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that was like prevalent through a lot of side quests, maybe heavy handedly, like Mark said before. But at this point of the game, it was kind of new and um even from a geographical and environment perspective, just the way it was introduced, like first you start in Northreach where like it's it's a little bit cozy, there you're at the brothel, you're learning about Isabel, and then you come out to this like land and there's like this dark, creepy music playing in the background, and there's like a like a a few little houses, and it's very close to the the empire where all of the nobles are. So it's like, as you get closer to that, like, hierarchy of politics and class, you're facing people who are really, really fucked up to the bears more so than others in other towns. Like, they don't, like, the bears were literally, like, toys. Like, the little girl was essentially taking bears to play with and kept killing them thinking it was a toy I mean, the whole time. Right.
0: That's... Clive assumed it was a, a dog. He yeah. assumed it right. was a pet. And yeah. no it was a And you can find and you can find that girl too before you even pick up the quest. Mm. Like you can you, you like she'll be there. That she, she doesn't spawn in as part of the quest pickup.
2: Yeah, and as um, you learn later, like one of the reasons why you didn't see that kind of thing in Rosaria was because Owen was kind of trying to slowly yeah. Change your phase it out. But it even plays with the nuances. There's another side quest where you meet an old slave who's who's since been freed, but he still thinks of himself as a servant to um to Elwyn. He worked in like the kitchen. He's the one that's hanging out on the cliff. Yeah. And he's like waiting for the Duke to return. And you kind of get that nuanced view of it where like he's been how people grow to love their chains.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um just a few a few or two more characters that I really want to talk about um I th- I think maybe we should acknowledge Blackthorn cuz I feel like he has one of the more prominent side quest lines right
2: for the weapons yeah
0: yeah yeah and that one actually plays into progression which is which, which so it stands out a little more than the others but did you guys enjoy like Blackthorn's kind of long standing quest line or
1: well, yeah, he comes across I, not the quest line. it was redundant, but at, at <laughs> least at least like what it did for his character like you have like this really brooding like angry, grumpy guy who is actually super emotional and yeah. needy um and one person recognizes those needs and tries to get Clive to help out and then it, it does something cool to like you know how they how the like they can spread bl- like making weapons without using magic and fire and embers and stuff like that
0: yeah and and it's uh, kind of the unity between him and his long his long lost rival or long-standing rival like the unity of that allows you to get a really powerful weapon for the time um mm-hmm. and 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 a, a a series staple the ragnarok so it's okay. uh it's pretty cool um and then the last character which is probably the one this is definitely one of the instances. Uh, that i teared up big time um we got to talk about the best character in the game and that's uncle byron yeah i he he legitimately is probably up there like in my top three of favorite characters in this game
2: one of one of the best ones in the game like i all that's all that's been said is the need to be said but it hasn't stopped me before so i'll say it anyway
0: yeah <laughs> He um his the when Clive approaches him and he does the whole thing where he reenacts the play when he was a kid and Uncle Byron just like dropping his axe and breaking down realizing oh my nephew's lot oh uh, probably yeah. the closest I came to tears <laughs> oh. <laughs> um because it, it was just so well done it was so well performed and Uncle Byron is he's just such a lovable character he's he's super emotional he's got great levity and he's he's you know got good beliefs he's got he's fighting for a good cause it's like reasonable why he's kind of hiding he's he's like he's he's like um the a rebellion benefactor or or yeah like he's 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 secretly funding wade and 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 all of them against the, the holy empire of Sam Brack because he doesn't he fucking ha- prob- he harbors a great hatred for Annabella I'm sure she's the reason his brother's dead eh? um it's, yeah, it's, also, it...
2: it's also funny him him mid and Gav maybe a few others like as opposed to the main party who are very different from traditional Final Fantasy characters Byron, Byron Mid, Gav they're probably like the most Final Fantasy if that makes sense characters mm.
1: I can see that they're very they have a lot of big personalities. Yes. Yeah. And Byron like
0: uh, I mean in a game that takes itself as seriously as 16 does, like Uncle Byron was just such a great source of levity. Um he 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 just yeah. a lot of his lines were just it's very good they, they made you they made you feel good they made you smile there were just so many moments with him okay, that what, were what, what
2: does he say when you're fighting all the other slip nears like can't you just have normal enemies or something like that? <laughs> it's
0: all, uh-huh. yeah it's all like um uh, but i also i love when like you you go to dala you sit down at the inn, and he's just like ah i guess there's our uh, hugo's men <laughs> like out loud yes, yes, like yes. come on uncle byron what are you doing <laughs> And then he he like quickly drinks all the ale and eats all the food before he hi- Gets behind the counter to hide. Like Yeah, he's funny. Oh, he was such a good character. I really really loved Uncle Byron. Yes. Um, I I just needed to talk about him. All right, we can stop talking about story and characters. Unless there's anything else you guys want to bring up, we need to we need to move on to combat. Yeah, there's some there's
2: it. so many more characters. Like like Wade, we barely even talked about Wade, but he Yeah. But yeah, we
0: need to. We'll be here forever if we talk Isabel about every character. Was
1: awesome which Isabelle, yes, um, yeah,
0: yeah. The 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 Dame. The,
1: yeah.
0: the, there's so many characters that are worth talking about in this game. We
2: didn't. We 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 only really mentioned Annabelle in passing. But, I mean, we, are, we said pretty much yeah, what we, we needed to
0: we say. Talk to, we talked a, 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 a good bitch. amount about her. Yeah, there's not really a ton to say other than it, it's she's It's like I said, she, evil. She,
3: she's
2: just the front-facing flat villain. Yeah. You know, I yeah.
1: thought that I, I wanted to kill her so bad th- from the beginning. So I was like, I'm ready to kill this bitch. And then, the, like, her committing suicide, it made so much sense rather yeah. than killing her. Because I felt like that would have yeah, been she didn't like, want a to confront, moment for the characters. Like, yeah.
2: going back to the, I keep, the shadow. She didn't want to confront her shadow, which is just that she was a terrible mother. She yeah. made all the excuses for it in the world, but she didn't want to, like, integrate, you know, her failings. So she yeah. refused to
0: accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. If nothing else about characters story, I say we need to talk about combat. Um, What did you guys think of the combat system? Did you like it? Did you hate it?
1: I had a lot of fun. Look, it was very simple, very simple, very flashy. I love that you can respec your abilities to play with different, yeah, things. But essentially, I was just spamming specials. I didn't really use the regular attacks that much. I didn't feel like I had to. Maybe I will on Final Fantasy difficulty. Um, but I was just basically dodging and and waiting for the cooldown and spamming my abilities.
0: And see, okay, and uh, I I to- this is where I, I gave I kind of gave you guys this rant a little bit in Slack, but here, here's my whole thing is. I, I've, I've kind of I kind of have an issue with cooldowns because the the best the best abilities in this game were the ones that rewarded you with a lower cooldown if you used them at the right time. So like once I got Garuda and I unlocked Rook's Gambit, which is the one where you do a backstep and then go in for uh, a few attacks. If you use that as a dodge to dodge an enemy attack, it actually empowers the skill, makes it more powerful, gives more hits, and it lessens the cooldown time. Mm -hmm. And I think this game, all the skills, if they were all going to have cooldowns, needed more of that where the skills were like all had a specific moment where you'd use them. And when you use them, you get rewarded for using them correctly. There were some of them like the the, uh, Titan had one where if you use it to block an enemy attack, it's more powerful. Phoenix had one where if you use it to to block an enemy projectile, it's more powerful. Those are the best skills for me because they actually rewarded smart play. Cooldowns. The only factor is time. You pop yeah. a skill and then you run around. with That's that's why I I, I was I think I was really critical for this it, with our with our discussion of God of War Ragnarok because you kind that game kind of gets too reliant on popping your special skills and then waiting for the cooldown to end so you can pop them again and otherwise just running around and waiting, biding well, your time. And this game it's... doesn't have a ton of that, but like I think it would have been better if. There was some sort of there was some sort of like a, ability point system or something where you know you have a hundred points and like using this skill uses thirty points, using this skill uses forty points or whatever, and then using regular attacks would refill that so then you could use your skills. And that you're, kind of you're talking the about now, the you're talking about the seven, which
2: the seven remix. Yeah, system, I mean, which, which yes. I, I I abhorred and
0: i know you did but i don't yeah. know why <laughs> i don't understand why a
2: multitude of a multitude of reasons i know I mean, if you want to
0: wanna, you listen to that to go listen to our final yeah, go, seven remake
2: episode uh and there are even more as time goes on that i can think of but um i i do agree with you that so they were kind of in a pickle because what they wanted to do was make a character action game um in the vein of like say Bayonetta,
0: um, uh, Devil May Cry. Devil May obviously. Cry. He's
2: Devil May Cry. <laughs> well, the Bayonetta team—they split off. They were from. Well,
0: no, 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 Just, to, just to call this out, Ryota Suzuki, who was the combat direct or a combat designer for Devil May Cry Four and Five, specifically around Nero's character, uh, was the combat director for this yes. game. Like he's he's a Devil May Cry staffer through and through.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I know, I know, but I'm just saying they wanted to make that kind of game. But those kinds of games are have very high skill ceilings, so like the kind of attacks that we're talking about would be tied to very precise com- combinations so you have they want to make a they're trying to make a a game a combat system focused around this genre, but they also are trying to make this game very accessible, and yeah. the easiest way to do it is cooldown so I do agree that there should have been ways to to increase cooldown reduction. At the same time, they're coming off and making MMOs. And it seems clear to me that in terms of optimizing damage output, the best way was rotations with the cooldowns in the same way you do in 14, which is what I ended up doing, um, was uh fine-tuning my um my rotations of abilities. But at the same time I was watching Delilah play in her YouTube videos and she played completely different where she was using abilities like you know, off cooldown, but spacing them out, but it wasn't like tied to stagger. Whereas with me, I had I would have a set of a few very specific abilities, one or two, to get to a stagger, get to halfway. Oh, I, yeah, I
1: did too. Um, and then I use, wait, uh, Shiva's for stagger.
2: Yeah, and then wait until they were fully staggered to unleash all the big damage spenders. And then by the end of the game, I shifted to where I was using basically all the the trap. So like, will the Wikes? Or will of the Right, whatever it is, the one where we're yeah, the fireballs. Will, will the, of the likes, Yeah. Will of the likes, Uh Rhyme the ice one, the thunder one, where I'd basically put them all out at once and just have fucking collateral yeah, super yeah. stagger everything. <laughs> I, I be, uh, and then have all my big spenders like the Bahama Beam for when single target enemies. So I was almost like min maxing it like you would a rotation in an MMO. Uh,
0: but yeah. Delilah,
2: but then Delilah is able to play it very much straight up, just like an action game. Um, so it's very interesting like how you're able to um, play in, in very different ways. I do agree with you that the cooldowns, um, they could have dealt with that in a more nuanced way.
0: Well, uh, yeah. but you bring up a great point, though, is that, yes, they did want to make this game as accessible as possible. And if they just straight up made a Devil May Cry game, uh, they would be doing the opposite of that because... Yeah. Games are hard. Yeah, I, I will say I, I do feel like I maybe spoiled myself a bit by playing through the entire Devil May Cry series before this, mm-hmm. um because God, did I find this game way too easy, even on Final Fantasy mode, just way too easy. It was
1: very, oh, well, I, I can't even speak for fun, but it was very easy. Yeah, like I barely had to think, but. I like that I was able to play with every single ability without worrying about skill points. And so yeah, yeah. probably what you saw, Jason, was me just picking random abilities. Exactly. You picked
2: what was fun for you. Like some people No, hated... not even.
1: I just picked everything. I played with every single yeah, ability. No, I, saw, I game. saw. Yeah, I saw yourself. And at the very I like, end, I was like, I why are bet. you
2: using those abilities? Why do you? Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot of them suck. Yes.
1: At the end, I was like, "Okay, Shiva for stagger, Bahamut for DPS, and then I use Ramu for like somewhere in between, like for like range and stuff like that." So then I was a lot more mindful of it towards the end. But during the game, I was like, as I got a new icon ability, I was like, "Oh, let me equip this or this," and I was like, mm.
2: "But you uh, so, what? What I guess the point I'm trying to get across is there are pros and cons, right? Like the the pros are that there's a lot of variety and a lot of different playstyles that people can engage in. The cons are that for I hate to put it as more hardcore gamers. Yeah, it's gonna be easier. People don't like think like people like Mark don't like the things like the cooldowns, um, and the way it feels like you're just cycling out, very much in like a, a almost a semi if, depending on how you're optimizing it MMO type way with rotations, um, based on your cooldowns and based we- on stagger.
0: I will, I will say, like the cooldowns were never so bad that like it became a, a, an issue where I felt like I just had to wait for them to come back, because the the core combat of just attacking and and the, like all the things you're able to do, um, it, it I had so much fun crafting combos. Mm-hmm. Um, once I figured out how to effectively launch an enemy and just combo them in the air, I was fucking doing that all the time. Just jump Garuda's Deadly Embrace, do a combo, air, enemy step, or it's not called enemy step, it's in this, it's called, um, I don't even remember what it's called, but you jump off the enemy and then deadly embrace them again. And you just keep them in the air for like three or four combos until you can just send them crashing down to the ground. Again, like I, I feel like playing through Devil May Cry before this spoiled me a little bit, but it also empowered me to understand how this combat system worked before I even started playing the game. Because this really was Devil May Cry combat, in a lot of ways. And I had a fucking blast with it, regardless of any criticisms I have with it. That's like, the I have criticisms of this combat, I definitely have criticisms of its progression, but it was so much fun to engage with regardless of those issues I had.
2: Right, and I, I think that's that's ultimately what I'm trying to get across, is that despite the fact that I didn't find it particularly difficult, I also... Felt like that wasn't the point, and I was having fun regardless. Yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like definitely. a challenging combat would have made this game less like would have been immersion breaking. Because like imagine like having these like cool spectacle fights, which and have, you, die you, know, like, fight it. It? you die in the middle, and then you die in the middle, and then it's like oh okay, I guess I got to do this again.
0: Yeah, I I guess the things that I wish were harder were just like the like the 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 moment to moment combat encounters with where it's just Clive, not the icons necessarily, but. I some of the hunts definitely gave me a run, a run for my money yeah. and i enjoyed a lot of the, the harder hunts
2: especially um, because you start to it's almost again drawing comparisons to 14 because you start seeing more mechanics being introduced and yeah. I, that's that's an area of criticism where i feel like they could have had on higher difficulties which i think should have been available from the start
0: yes um, yes 100 percent.
2: i think on higher difficulties like final fantasy difficulty Rather than just increase health pools and increase your leveling, added more mechanics, because they did a good job with the mechanics that were here. And in the same way that, like in fourteen, a normal raid has like the basics of what the mechanics are, and then a savage will have those mechanics extrapolated, multiplied, taken to the extreme. You know, the same thing could have been done
0: here. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I really liked. And and you know noticed obviously anytime they would do like fourteen MMO mechanics telegraphing um telegraphing like AOE's on the ground yes uh straight line right, attacks like, yeah line straight line attacks and stuff like that yeah I really liked that and like th- those were some of the aspects from uh, that carried over from fourteen that I really enjoyed um one thing that I. I think there's a way they could have made this work, but I also understand that it would have been a very difficult thing to encompass through the whole game. I think having elements actually matter would have been really meaningful. Um, it That'd feels cool. weird that you can use fire attacks on a bomb and the bomb takes damage and doesn't get healed by it. I've
2: heard this criticism. Um, my retort would be that what I said earlier about the variety and the amount of playstyles that I've seen across, not just watching Delilah, but well, different people... They become invalidated and you're forced to play in certain ways or play maybe with something you don't want to.
0: I don't 100% agree with that purely because equipping an icon doesn't necessarily mean you have to use that icon skills. Because when you master them, you get free reign. All All equipping Garuda does is give you wind magic and deadly embrace. So if those are the only two things that you have to suffer through and you can still just put on you know Ramu's judgment bull and Bahamut's impulse on that then I don't think it I don't think it matters as much I think it would have been interesting to kind of kind of have you tailor your icon equi- uh, icon equips um to the situations that you were putting yourself in I think
2: yeah I, I, and it's not that I disagree with you I'm just put, putting that out there as No I,
0: you're you're giving a counter yeah. you're playing devil's advocate yeah. and I understand I, I totally get it it's just I I just think it it was really disappointing to find that they would always... Anytime you get a new icon, they'd be like, oh, this icon aspects your magic to this element. And it's like, okay, that literally doesn't matter. It does not matter that I have Titan on and I'm using Earth magic because I think it, it doesn't been, make a difference.
2: I think it would have been fine had they introduced buffs and debuffs far earlier and played with that much more. Because they I mean, do... there really
0: aren't any... any there aren't, really aren't, aren't, aren't debuffs... Those, there's, there's some buffs. enemy buffs, but like yeah. there's not a ton of them and like I, I think
2: I think they should have played with that more, especially I agree. earlier in the game and then on higher difficulties add things like debuffs, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um before we move on cuz we have to start wrapping up, uh what were your guys' favorite icons?
1: Um visually? or like combat wise. Uh
0: yes, both, you know.
1: Oh, um Odin <laughs> was the coolest looking one for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um but abilities wise um I uh I I, I mean, I guess just the combination of, of like I said Bahamut, Shiva, Shiva and uh Ramu um I really liked all of the main specials like the like the when Shiva does that ice attack like you hit down twice and it does so much stagger damage the phoenix uh wing ability that that Clive does for the ifrit attacks um the the tornado thing for garuda all of those were really cool like visually the yeah. earthquake for the titan um they were all like combat wise visually cool i just i just think um i liked using those three icons the most just because of damage versus stagger yeah okay yeah
2: i think um i i i largely agree that they all had something to add i'll just say my favorite was bahamut simply because the flight mechanics anytime you have to use the full flight so like mechanics a... um it, it almost felt like all range mode and Star Fox 64 yeah. <laughs> is pretty cool <laughs> um uh but um but aside, like bahamut i would definitely pick as my favorite all-round all fight but i'll go back to what i mentioned earlier the final fight the sequence where um where you get interludes with the music swelling and you get you know people cheering you on different characters from behind probably one of my favorite moments in the game overall uh, especially at the end when um Clive's father you hear his voice yeah, yeah. um
1: yeah. yeah the titan fight was my favorite boss fight though
0: yeah, that one was that one was sick. Jason, what like icon like abilities? Which ones did you have equipped most of the time? What um, Old definitely
2: Shiva. I I used the shit out of um Shiva. Um, okay. like I said, I had rhyme. I had the only um Ramu ability I used was like the lightning thing that you leave in place and shock. Lightning, so I put the lightning
0: that... rod. Yeah,
2: Dude, um that
0: thing is so devastating if you, well, right, if you get it right.
2: I, I switched around a lot of the abilities. Yeah. Uh I noticed a lot of, like you didn't even upgrade your limit break meter. It was still at two. I
1: yeah, was no, at like four I, by I the end of yeah. the <laughs> game. I just yeah. I maxed. Because out that was my whole thing. I popped abilities. I
2: popped limit break once I staggered, so now yeah. it's multiplying upon multiplying damage and you just stack then again I was like trying to min-max how much damage I could do once I staggered. <laughs> yeah, I guess so like, I was. Like eighty or ninety k. I think I almost hit a hundred. I can't remember. But oh, so um,
1: I-, I maxed out all of the special abilities and especially Bahamut's like
2: yeah Bahamut's beam. Thing. I had the entire Giga game. Flare from, is fucking Giga Flare. amazing. Giga yeah. Flare, yeah. Yeah. jeez. Um, but definitely the dodge you get with Shiva, uh, the mobility aspect of that. That plus the ring that you get from the side quests. That um. The berserker your, ring. The berserker ring. Yeah. Oh which yeah. <laughs> it bumps up your damage every time you dodge. Oh yeah. Plus, you're just gliding around with the Shiva dodge. Um, I never really got to use much of the sword. I probably would have liked it. I tried to. What I, Odin? I, no, no, no. Oh, yes, yes. Odin sword. Um, the like Z- I forgot Zantetsuken. Zantetsuken, Zensek-
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, my main my mainstay is I never unequipped Garuda. Garuda was on twenty four seven. I, I really, and and like I said, I brought up Rook's Gambit. That never, that never came off. I always had that on. Uh, I only save. used that like the first half of the game, the garuda ones, just to break stagger. Oh, I, I, well, Rook's Gambit just felt, always felt so rewarding when you, when you would land it correctly, so. Mm-hmm. I, I never took it off, and then Wicked Wheel is really good for stagger and damage, so I kept that on pretty much all the time. And it's an AOE. It's it it really it, it's really an all-in-one uh, skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I also never unequipped Titan once I got Titan because Titanic Block is really useful and. Uh, some of his skills I really liked. Wind up he used that a lot. Um, my I third... only get rid of Titan to make room for stuff, but I agree with you. Yeah, well, my, my my slot my my third awesome. slot was my experimentation slot. That's the one that I would I would switch out when I felt the time was uh, warranted. So like boss fights, I would use Bahamut to to pop off a mega flare and dodge some big telegraphed attacks. If it was a big group of mobs, I'd put on Odin because landing as a, a level five Zantetskin um against like 20 dudes it insta kills everything it's fucking satisfying as hell um and like i really like how differentiated all the icons are like i I feel like shiva some of her skills start to get a little like okay what's the point of this uh i I started to appreciate shiva more uh, on my second playthrough when i was doing a little more experimentation and i started mastering things so i could equip them anywhere um I started using diamond dusts a lot. Yeah, I everybody believe. uses diamond dusts. Yeah. Well yeah. I didn't I didn't really care much for it in my first playthrough. And then by the time the second one came around then I mastered it. So I'm oh, no, saying something else. I d I didn't use diamond dust at all. Yeah.
2: Um even though I had the Shiva, I, I had Shiva mostly for
0: the dodge and rhyme.
2: But like I said, my, my playstyle was different where I always had will of the wikes rikes whatever yeah,
0: yeah because it
2: gives you the invincibility plus you're constantly da- See, damaging f- whatever's next f- to you i
0: felt like will of the wikes i that's the once i think that's the only skill that i never used because it felt like cheating so i, never I just like stacking
2: that. it i like stacking it with rhyme yeah and yeah lightning I gotcha. just to like complete chaos and you're just racking up all these multiple hits for everything on the side yeah
0: right i like i don't fault anyone for using it just personally i was like yeah i don't want to use this because it feels like it's it it almost feels like cheating i feel it so i I feel like the
2: one that was kind of underpowered and fell off i think for everybody was phoenix
0: yeah, um I I like I I really loved Heatwave because that's the one where if you time it to to block a projectile it powers up. I used it a lot. Um but yeah, by the end of the game it's kind of rendered it's it's almost rendered pointless cuz all of its skills feel too underpowered and there's just better versions on other icons. Yeah. Um the, the only good thing I feel Phoenix has going for it is the um is its it's it's inherent skill, the uh the what the dash to get right up close and personal. Yeah. But
2: which which dead- Shiva replaces with their thing, yeah. Oh
0: I no I, I wouldn't even say Shiva. I would say Deadly Embrace on Garuda is just the that inverse too, yeah you just and it's it's better th- that's better to me because if you if you get up in the air then you can pull enemies to you and then you can start enemy stepping off of them. Like right. if you that's if you cool. figure out how to midair combo, it, Garuda is just It's just better than Phoenix in every way. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I was comboing dudes in the air. Like, it was nobody's business. I was having so much fun with that combat (laughs) system. I really, really liked this game, guys.
1: Also, from like a story perspective, I felt the need to use Shiva, uh, Ramu, and Bahamut, because those were the homies. So I was like, oh, they gave this to me. Like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I gotcha. I hear you. You had no right to take that Clive. <laughs> I I will say by the end of my second playthrough I did start using Shiva more. I, I I actually had her her equipped and was using the uh I was having trouble like timing the dodge right for a while and then eventually I kind of came to master it and get mm-hmm. get it down pretty well. Um but yeah, I I, I Garuda and Titan those were mainstays for me. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, The last big thing I want to talk about uh, is kind of the progression system, because I feel like this is the thing that I'm kind of most critical on with this game, Um, because this game takes the approach for leveling, which is linear stat progression. That's fine. It's the gear system that I kind of have issue with, because you're there's not much to explore in the maps when there is something to find it pretty much is it's pretty much guaranteed to outclass whatever you have but then the next mission you'll be able to upgrade or make something that will outclass that and if you're keeping up with the side quest and stuff it's guaranteed you'll be able to do it it's what did you guys how did you guys feel about this progression system because i've really found it to be really lackluster
1: yeah, I got. All, I don't care. Like, just take it away completely. I feel.
2: Yeah, I feel like it should have been like if they weren't going to put in the time, it should have just been like cosmetic. Like you can choose what your sword and if they had the time, add armor options. Um, but um, yeah, this is a this is a thing where I'll, I'll agree with you. This is something the game just does poorly. It's lag- yeah. Like I wouldn't even say just lag, or poorly. And to be honest, I'm not surprised because, um you listen to a lot of, like, especially people who, you know, stream Final Fantasy fourteen and do a lot of end game content. The gearing system there is a constant criticism as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Final Fantasy, most Final Fantasy games have a pretty linear gearing system. But here it just, it wasn't even really necessary.
0: I mean, you can't, I, I wouldn't even say it has that most have a linear gearing system. It's...
2: It's it, the it, way, it's the way that the gear progression does, and stats are integrated with it. Yeah. Gear
0: doesn't usually only have numbers attached to it, right? And like you the, have the, uh, materia again, the,
2: slots or skills in Fantasy IX that you have to learn so, from them. Yeah, right?
0: or like you know, some have an element attached to them, or some yeah. like do a certain status effect. And not having any of those systems in this game makes it so whichever sword has the bigger numbers is the one that you want to equip. Which There's is why no I feel like not.
2: Given the fact that they they were going for character action anyway, it should have just been cosmetic choice. So you could choose yeah. whatever looks
0: the coolest to you. I'm mean, I'm inclined to agree, but I've, I've I've rather than that, I've wished there would have been more meaningful systems, like like an element system, or like you know make make some swords better at stagger but do worse damage, so you can stagger things really fast, and then it comes down to how much damage can you do with your skills.
2: Or integrate like, it with cooldowns, like
0: you yeah. were mentioning earlier, build yeah. build the system into the weapons where you get trade-offs different... Yeah. yeah, have certain things just do more than just... Like, the accessory system is, is serviceable enough. It just needed to... that Some of that stuff needed to kind of move over into the armor and the weapon system, because overall, right. that's just very linear, and it's not very exciting. Um in terms of RPG mechanics, like, you know, I'm always harping on about the RPGification of games. Final Fantasy is predominantly an RPG series, so it's a little disappointing to get one that's so lackluster, at least when it comes to gear. I do think people aren't looking at the the abilities and the skills nearly enough when they talk about RPG mechanics, because how you spend those ability points and where you, where you kind of equip those skills is, I think, RPG enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this game as a whole is pretty light on those mechanics, and I feel like there were ways to incorporate them better.
1: Yeah, or just make it a not RPG Final Fantasy. Game. Yeah,
0: well, I, I, w-
2: I would say I would say it isn't,
0: and I'm fine with that.
1: I wish no, had yeah, just th- into that more.
0: Yeah uh, this this game this game I would not I would say it's an action game first and R- an RPG tertiary almost.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. great action game, a bad RPG.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with that.
2: Which, you know, I know a lot of people have voiced that they don't like that. I said in our, go listen to our, our discussion on Final Fantasy VII Remake, Square has forever been trying to chase this fantasy, <laughs> um, so to speak, of and the And will be its final witness. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this perfect balance between a combo turn-based action game um, and I said there in our discussion, either choose action or choose turn-based, choose one or the other and go all in. And for the most part, they just chose action here and, I, and I'm fine with it. And I was here for it. And I had a lot of fun with it, yeah. despite the flaws, including the progression system, which as I'm saying, I just, I would have just made it cosmetic or added, you know, more, um, uh, like cooldown buffers and, and such. Like we were talking about, like with the berserker ring, if you hit a dodge, you yeah.
0: get Bonus power temporarily, yeah. Um, I, I think when it comes, uh, I I to acknowledge this, but I don't want to go too deep into it because we're, uh, more, most importantly, for the interest of time, but also I'm just tired of this fucking discussion. This game is a Final Fantasy game. It does not have to have like Final Fantasy has never been known for deep RPG mechanics. It's actually I would say been known for having pretty shallow ones. Uh, that because the the gameplay has never really been the focus um presentation this game was
2: always the focus yes present,
0: presentation and uh, a good story and good characters which arguably that's like the japanese role playing game creed uh, credence um or creed um this game is still through and through a final fantasy game it doesn't need to have deep rpg mechanics to be one it 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 is still very much a final fantasy and I, 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 the, the debate about whether or not this game is a real Final Fantasy game is, is pointless and stupid and I'm tired of hearing it.
1: I'm kind of tired of people telling developers that their games aren't what they are. Like, they do this yeah. with Zelda too. It's like, you know, series evolve, like, especially series like Final Fantasy and Zelda that have been around since I was a freaking baby. Like, of course it should change. If I want to yeah. play the same shit that I used to play, I'll just play that shit
0: yeah I mean you know? and that that even you know that discussion could expand out to like discussions of remakes and you know the, the people people complain about Resident Evil Four remake not being enough like the original. It's like, well, just go play the original. it's still yeah. around. It's like one of the most accessible games out there
1: also um, hot take Pokemon would probably be a better series if it evolved itself and didn't <laughs> we definitely don't Weathers. have
0: enough time to talk about that
2: <laughs> well. Well, hey, like I said before, if they had decided to make a purely turn-based, like I, uh, I've been talking to you guys. I've been playing through Octopath Traveler now, which is yeah. an ode to those um Super Nintendo and Super Nintendo turn-based games. I would have been fine with that too. I just want a good game, hey, and yeah, I, so- and this was I'm I felt flabbergasted when I finished this game because I was like, this is the first, in my opinion, good Final Fantasy game I've gotten since well if we exclude 12 14 but it's hard to exclude 14 um yeah yeah <laughs> but outside of 14 like main line is 12
0: i mean there haven't oh okay i i'm i'm a 13 appreciator i'm not going to get go down that rabbit yeah. hole though um it's been a long time. is all I'm saying. Yeah. So I'll, I also do want to say once again, guys. Reminder: if you want to play a classic turn-based RPG that directly inspired Octopath, uh, we should do we should do Live Alive. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Um. Shout out in the comments if you want us to do an episode on Live Alive. Sorry, what the (laughs) hell?
1: You've been trying to get us to do that game for a long time.
0: (laughs) I think it would be a blast, but that's neither here nor there. Are we ready to do the final question, or is there anything else you guys want to talk about, bring up? I feel like I had to cut the gameplay section short, but I think we've covered all we need to cover with it. Yeah.
2: All I'll say, just to wrap up what you were saying about the Final Fantasy question, is that, yes, I agree, it changes, the focus has always been presentation turn-based mechanics, all that stuff from the old days was all a function of presenting a good story. This was a good story. It was yes. very much a Final Fantasy story. Yes. Um, It even played on expectations of Final Fantasy stories and subverted it, like we talked about Bigs and Wedge earlier. There's no Biggs and Wedge. And they very much tease you with, oh, this is going to be Biggs and Wedge. They play with nope. tropes. This is very much a Final Fantasy game through and through. Um, yeah. I think... The shortcomings, it, it, it almost could serve as a model. They could do more of this or they could do something completely different. All I know is that this was a good Final Fantasy game. Yeah, agreed.
1: Yeah. And I just want to say that I hope more games do active time lore because, boy, oh. I have never read and understood a story this d- deep and many layered and complex with so many characters and words. I never uh, absorbed it this well. And it's all thanks to the active time lore. Uh, and good writing
0: honestly um i I brought up that i'm a huge defender of 13 um if and when i feel like it's an inevitable when uh square enix re-releases 13 active time lore would do wonders for making that game more digestible because that game throws a lot of proper nouns at you without any context and having to navigate into the menu to go to the data bank to find the, the the term to then read about the term is it took so much time up in that playthrough. So yeah, the ability to pause at any time and just read like, Oh, they mentioned Walud. What the hell is that again? Oh, it's a kingdom in ash that Barnabas rules. Okay, cool. Thanks. Pause yeah. menu. That's amazing. And I amazing. have a terrible
1: memory. So the fact that I remembered some things is just a testament to like that system being yeah I mean it, it
0: helped it helped me to like reinforce who certain characters are what their relationships are and you know we didn't we didn't talk about Vivian much but like oh you know, also being able to talk to her to find out like at certain points in the story like what everyone was doing and like what the what the political climate was like at, at every point. Um and and be also be able to see the character tree and find and have the reminders of like who's who and what the relationships are, and you know, Tomes has this too, but like, it's it's that's more just like an encyclopedia, where yeah. Vivian is like actively, you know, he, here's the situation as it stands at this moment in time.
1: Yeah, um, it it was like a timeline and character yeah. cre- c- uh, collections, but also I forgot to mention the end of her side quest was cool too. Yes. Um, yes. How they reveal uh the what actually how the relationship between the bears and non bears was actually equal at one point until a war happened. Yeah, which yeah. again another the final Fantasy
2: reference to the yeah. War of the Magi. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. God, yeah. There's there's a lot we didn't really get to talk about with this game. There's Um, so much, yeah. There's so much. We get we get caught up in
2: so much of this stuff. We barely discuss Barnabas, but Barnabas is is kind of a mystery in and of itself. So
0: yeah. Hey, if there's anything that you're upset we didn't talk about, let us know in the comments, and we'll probably chat with you there because you know I'll be up in those comments and and talking to you about certain aspects of the story that we didn't get to discuss here
1: for real. But was this the first game that Jason read everything? <laughs> i don't know was, was
0: it
3: this isn't the
2: did, first game that i what
1: you read everything the,
0: you know how you oh, oh, you're talking about... did this past the jason test
2: yes because you didn't actually need those for the story to work that that's the that's the main thing but i did i did read everything and i did like how they gamified lore with harpocrates and like leveling yeah. up yeah yeah um, i thought that was smart
3: that
2: was um cool. but yeah you didn't need any of that for the story to work it enhanced everything the mm-hmm. more lore you got incorporated in, the more you read the ATL. Um, and it wasn't yeah. a game like, say, Alien Isolation, more like the story is told through that kind of material.
1: Right.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. So the way it's presented is pretty important. But yes, it passes yeah. that test. Cool. I
0: cool.
1: also love the little 8-bit like, characters on the same screen. Oh, and
0: yeah. They're always doing those. They're always doing the pixel art versions of characters. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's so cute. Um yeah. And uh, also in the last one of the episodes we did on strangers of paradise where there's crystals there's chaos that that can <laughs> be relative to this game as well
0: yeah we don't get <laughs> we didn't get any uh cheesy one-liners like that no and
2: just just one more i'm sorry we're trying to pack in so much yeah <laughs> one more thing because we only mentioned it once or twice in passing um <laughs> soundtrack fucking killer soken oh, nailed God. it
0: yeah 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 so- soken always nails it yeah he, he is an amazing composer um, I have the eight disc soundtrack. Don't you guys worry? Uh, I, I I purchased the ultimate edition. I have yet to rip it to my laptop because it's gonna take me a while. It's Eight nice. discs. Nice. Um, but I, I'll, I'll well, at some point I'll spend an afternoon doing that. Yes. Okay. Uh, final question. We got to make this a lightning round. Final question. Uh, do you guys think we're gonna get DLC or a sequel? And if so, what do you want it to cover? Leviathan. Okay. I mean... We will. I don't want to. I wish it could just <laughs> yeah. stand as it is. Yeah. Cause... I mean, living. I think if anything, I want a DLC that is doesn't that doesn't take place after the game. And my yeah, my wish would be to give us something uh, potentially completely unrelated to ever, anyone we met and find out what happened to Leviathan. You know, give us something, give us something totally disconnected that gives us a little more lore, but doesn't uh harm our view of the characters of the story that was presented, you know? Right. Um, yeah. that's what I would really like. Uh Yoshi- Naoki Yoshida, Yoshi P as we all know and love him as. Um, he did say in an interview, his vote if they do, do a DLC, his vote would be to be on something regarding Sid. So take that for what you will.
1: I wouldn't mind that, especially to learn the relationship between him and Benedicta. And who knows, maybe yeah. Mid was actually one of Benedicta's like bastard childs because she was like Prostituted a lot, and that's why he adopted her. So maybe that could. Hey,
0: been. and you know, maybe that could play into why she resents and hates him so much. You know yeah. what? What if that's a, a reason that doesn't get explored in the game? Is that Mid is her daughter, and he takes her and leaves? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that, that that could be an interesting angle. But you know, time will tell. DLC's not confirmed for this game. Um, it's but it is being explored. It is being considered. Uh, likely due to the game being successful. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the sales numbers for this game, and people are questioning if it actually sold well. Square Enix themselves are questioning if it sold well. I don't want to get into that, because, again, partly we don't have time, and also because I'm sick and tired of people trying to downplay this game's success. Um, anyway, that being said, Jason, what's the Kwasnicki rating on this bad boy?
2: I've struggled with this because I... I didn't know if I want if I thought it would push to push past the 9 barrier.
3: Yeah. I
2: was I was sitting somewhere between 8.5 and 8.9. But I think I'm just going to give it a solid 9. The reason being is because while I do have lots of criticisms, um I think because they were so focused and narrowed in and did so well what they were focused in and narrowed in on, even even though the progression system, like we said, is just straight up lackluster, the writing is just so intricate, the story, presentation, the icon fights, it just nails it, and as I said multiple times, some of the character, some of the way they did things is the best that I believe it's ever been done in the series, or at least close to it, so I think a solid, it earns a solid 9 out of 10, nice. with
0: 5 being average. Alright, um, Delilah, you working on anything?
1: I did a full playthrough for this game on YouTube, asasina Sun, and, and you
2: cried.
1: Um, I cried. I cried at the end. I cried at the beginning, too, and a few points throughout the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can see me be miserable doing the side quests. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I recorded almost all of them until I was like, okay, I can't be miserable like 80% of this playthrough.
0: Yeah. <laughs> i gotcha um if you like this episode please if you're listening on youtube thank you so much please give us a thumbs up leave us a comment tell us like you know whatever thing from the game that we didn't talk about that you really wanted us to talk about tell us and we'll talk about it in the comments um and you know subscribe to the channel uh share the show with your 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 family and friends and pets and kids and whoever else Uh, If you listen on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. Please rate and review the show. Five stars preferred. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Uh, It really, really helps the show grow. You really, like, we really need your help to help the show grow. So please, please rate and review the show. Share it with friends. Share it with people that you think would like it, would enjoy it. Um, You know, we're just doing doing our best out here.
2: Feel free to just get in that comment section and tell me how much of an idiot or an asshole I am. You have my permission i can take it
0: yeah (laughs) uh delilah what's our next game
1: a plague tale requiem
0: we're finally gonna make good on that promise we said we would do a plague tale requiem last late last year and we wound up not being able to because jason didn't have a ps5 yet and we forgot that it was new gen only um so yeah we're gonna do plague tale requiem next yes so uh, catch up on that. Play that game if you haven't. If you have played it, just you know, I guess refresh your memory on what happened, or just wait for our episode because that's coming in about a month or so.
1: Yeah, we did Innocence and... already. If you didn't, yeah,
0: it. oh yeah, yeah. And if you if you did, if you played Innocence, go listen to our spoiler cast on that because we covered that. Um. So yeah, go go listen to that episode, and we'll you know we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening.
3: Oh, I was winning for July. Bye everybody. Oh, I thought I did.